the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. They're getting ready to, to, to be with their families and take care of business. It'll be like that till about midway through the session, and then uh, they'll, they'll have to start sticking around because if they don't, they'll start falling far behind, and they won't want to be uh, doing that. In fact, the governor won't let them do that. So just know that that's what's going on. Uh, Mark Meckler is going to be our guest here this first hour. Yesterday, we were lucky enough to hook up with uh, former Senator uh, Coburn from Oklahoma. I've, I've had, for him, utmost respect over the years. He tells you the truth. You may not like to hear what he has to say, but he tells you the truth. And he knows what he knows. I mean, he doesn't deal with things. He doesn't do, you know, what is known and what is unknown and all that other stuff that has been made you know famous now over the over the years he tells you exactly how it is so mark didn't get to join us yesterday but he went up he got, he came across did you like grab him by the the shoulder no, there it was actually Paul, one of the other was, guys asked me this morning if if we could go ahead and have him on at, at two. was it randy no it wasn't randy it was um um, is the other guy? I don't know his, know his name. Bud. Was Maybe it, Bud. Was it Bud? Oh, Bud, Maybe okay. So. so they wanted to get Mark on. Yeah. And, so and I, I said, absolutely. Because yeah, so we had already carved out the time for the show today. And I'd already told JR we'd do him at three. Uh, at three. Okay. He's the governor's spokesman. So he, he, he'll get his time on. And obviously you guys make room for troublemakers. If absolutely. You're happy, so I appreciate <laughs> that's that. Good, that's good talk. When the troublemakers come well, on. And let Democrats come on. Yeah, I... I gotta get. Hey, you're gonna love this, Elizabeth. Move up on the microphone so people will be able to hear you. You got to move up here. You move. Hello, Dave. Here. There, got you here. All right. So, Elizabeth, Trent Garner, who was on the show, was it yesterday he was on? Trent. I don't know. The I think so. The anyway, together, but you know, he was talking about the um, the pedophile bill that he ran that wouldn't let a person who is out on parole have celebrate the Halloween, Halloween thing. thing. Did you see what Flowers said no. yesterday in the committee meeting? No. Yeah, she she made the statement and I want to <laughs> say that I want to give her the benefit of the doubt, but I can't cuz she's proven herself ignorant we're, many we're many times. We're talking Stephanie Flowers from Pine Bluff. Yes, yes, yes. And and she made the statement to uh the Garner. He says, "What do you want to do? You want to put him on an island?" To which if it had been me, <laughs> I yes. would have responded, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe I'll, if, you, if you're if you for it, then I'll run it in the, in the 93rd General can, Assembly. Can we send them to Manhattan? I don't know. It's just, That's yeah. an island. What, what, what did he tell her? Just, what just did he tell her? He, he, he really it didn't say if he said anything back to her, but it was a perfect you know, missed opportunity if he didn't say yes. In fact, uh, exactly. Or maybe, how about next door to your house? Yeah, it's just. And and then I see that there was some there was somebody there who was advocating for pedophile. Who advocates for the scum of the earth like that? Advocating for pedophiles. 
You know what I think about this. Well, you, I mean, yeah, it never you know changes. It never goes away. Mark's sitting here saying, you know? Dave, I thought you wanted me to talk. Yeah. I'm going to get to <laughs> really I'm going to stay out of this one, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to, I'm, we're going to invite Stephanie Flowers on, Senator Flowers on. You might I, as well. I, 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 do I want, want her know. to clarify. I want her to clarify. Which are good pedophiles and which are bad pedophiles? Yeah. Well, but maybe maybe yeah. we can go ahead and help her run this bill to push put them on islands. I don't know. That would be good. Well, I mean, you know, if maybe she wants, if she, if she wants to sponsor the bill, maybe we'll help her run it. I just want to know. Just and I know we're not talking about this bill at the moment, but I just want to know how they're going to enforce this. They're going to go up and down the streets and do trick or treating to find out who's giving out the candy. Well, they should know. <laughs> they should know. The police should know yes, if they have yes, registered absolutely. where they live so, and where they're at. But even still, what so are you going to do? Got, Drive up and down and watch to see well, where the kids yeah, are going to that house? I they mean, should. It's, it's a well, I mean, no, no, about well, if so, they've got lights out yeah, and yeah, and they're kind of draw entice. them in. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So mm-hmm. it's not that big a deal, especially for level four. There's not very many level four sex offenders. I think there's. Only, it is only level four. No, it's level three and four. There's okay. a lot of three, level All threes, right. but as far as level fours go, there's not a whole lot of them. And and so you could potentially just have the officer have an officer drive by on Halloween night, and and see and if they and see if they've. If they look like they're open for Halloween business, we I, I believe more strongly in protecting our innocent children than I do about protecting the rights of those and individuals. And that's kind of the argument where I'm at is I, I, I'm a little bit concerned about um, poking a bear and, and maybe driving them to 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 maul people again, if you will. But on the other hand, you know, if they're so dangerous, we can't trust them with this sort of stuff. Why are they still breathing? I mean, why are they taking up good That's air? That's what you always say. Well, no, it's You're true, the Old though. Testament guy. Just <laughs> well, kill them all. Nah, be done not with all of them. I don't want to kill all of them, but I'm going to tell you what, three and fours, I'd have no problem putting them on uh, death death watch. Well, you know, on a personal basis, the effects of that type of behavior. Yeah, and I, I do. Personally, people, I've had some children go through it's that. A, it's a very unfortunate thing. Honestly, I believe it is that I don't believe that there is any rehabilitation there at all. I don't believe I've it's talked possible. to many a doctor who tell you about 98% of them never will rehabilitate. So we have to protect the innocent children. Yep. That's just all there is to it. Trent should ask me to come by and testify. I've been more than happy to testify mm-hmm. on that. You could, you'll have the opportunity Easy the enough then. to let him know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe when he goes to the house, I'll go over and you talk to, tell to him. You, you to let you know when it comes Yeah, let's, well, let Trent, I'll just send him a text and yeah, tell can, him. But, but meanwhile, did you hear how, how well, Paul, were you in the committee meeting today? I understand that the uh, Conventions of States committee meeting went very, very well. Yes, and I'm excited about this because, you know, I've been on board on this since it started. Yep. It seems like to me, wasn't it uh, Nate that started all of that? Haven't we done this three three cycles Nate now? Bell started it, didn't he? He, he did the balanced budget. Oh, the balanced budget. Okay. It, was a, it was a kind of a different, similar so, process. Who, different. who started the the cost movement? Uh, Gary Stubblefield. Has been with it the whole way? Gary Stubber, Stubblefield. Stubblefield. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes, so see, right. at least three years. Going so on four. He was here yesterday. We had him on with uh, Senator Colburn. It was good to hear uh, from Gary as well. He's another one of the true conservatives that are here in the Marble Palace that we we meet at. So Mark Meckler is with us. He is the president of the Convention of States. And uh, was, was it, who was it that started this? Was it the Goldwater people that kind of? No, it was actually. That's uh, balanced budget. Yeah, that's, again. that goes way back. Uh, the Convention of States project was started five years ago. Okay. The original idea came from a guy by the name of Mike Ferris. Mike yes. is the founder Mike of the Homes. Mike has been on the show. Great yes. man, founder of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Yes. He's the guy, really, that's responsible for legalizing homeschooling in America. And about five years ago, he and I got introduced by a mutual friend. 
And I'm straight out of the Tea Party movement. I was one of the founders of Tea Party Patriots, the largest Yay. Tea Party Thank organization. Thank you very much. Thanks. Yay. And like so many Tea Partiers, ended up frustrated. We sent all these people to Washington. They all got eaten by the machine or drowned in the swamp. Not much changed. And they so were, they were shipping out of the Potomac. Is that's what it. it. Was. <laughs> so for me, you know, as a guy who was traveling around the country giving speeches, talking to Tea Party groups, I was always being asked, well, what should we do? That's kind of a rhetorical question if you're sitting around over a couple of beers. But if you're the guy in the front of the room traveling around giving speeches, you're actually supposed to have some kind of valuable suggestion or insight. And it's honestly something that kept me up at night for a long time because I didn't know. I had what I would describe as an eighth grade civics lesson view of government. In other words, we're supposed to participate. Participation means supporting a candidate, electing them to office. And then they're all going to go to office and do what you hope and expect. What they said they do. Oh. Well, yeah, exactly. But that's what we're taught, right? I mean, that's yeah. what you're taught in Those school. Guys, the guys you elect don't even know what they're going to do. That's exactly right. And so they go there. They do all this other stuff. So in 2010, I was part of electing the largest swing class in the history of Congress since 1929 uh, and changed everything. We thought everything was going to change. I was there for the swearing in for all the congressmen. We held an orientation for them. Ed Meese spoke at our orientation. It was a new day on Capitol Hill. Ed Meese is my hero. He's a hero. Incredible to sit next to him, have him give this speech. New day on Capitol Hill, right? I got his book, and he autographed it. That's a good one. And he's still going strong, which is is amazing. So we think everything is going to change, and then nothing Nothing really changes. changes, right? So that's... Really disappointing to the point of devastating, in my opinion. It really shakes your faith in the foundations of our our government and our system. So I was looking for something. Like, what was the real problem? The problem turns out, if it's not personnel, which is what you're addressing when you elect people, what is it? Ferris had the answer for me. He got on the phone with me through a mutual friend. He said, look, you're not happy with what's happened out of the Tea Party movement. There's a reason because you're aiming at the wrong problem. And I said, "Ah, what do you mean? I'm a simple guy. Put it to me simply. He said, you're aiming at personnel. We don't have a personnel problem. We have a structure problem. Same people in office that have always been in office. They've always been good, bad, and statesmen. Uh, But we have now broken the structure of our system of governance. And he went through and started to explain to me exactly what that meant. I can give you some quick examples. One of the examples is the 17th Amendment. So we used to appoint our senators. The state legislature would appoint them. Here's why that's important. Most people don't know that, Bob. I didn't know that before somebody told me a few years ago. Until Wilson decided he wanted to change. 1913. So here's why that's so important, because if they represent your state legislature as an entity, your state as an entity, then when they go to Washington, D.C., they have one job. No. Yeah. That's what they do. They say no to the federal government says, we're going to do that. No, you're not. We're going to take over this area of state authority. No, you're not. We're going to impose these taxes. No, you're not. That was the job of a state senator, or a federal senator before 1913. 1913, we passed the 17th Amendment. And then what happens is the state senators now have an entirely different uh, sense of obligation and responsibility and priority. Now their goal is to centralize power in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. because they're human beings. They like power where they are. Every human likes power. So they say, oh, do I really want power in my state? No, I'm more important if power's at the federal level. So they want bigger federal programs, 
Imagine, if you will, this is just kind of a thought exercise. We've got these things called unfunded mandates, right? That means the federal government tells your state legislature, you have to do X, Y, and Z. Here are the rules. Oh, and by the way, you have to tax your citizens to pay for that. We're not giving you any money. That's the definition of an unfunded mandate. Imagine prior to 1913, the senator comes home to the legislature. It's 1900, and he says to his colleagues in the legislature, I just did the best thing. You're going to love this, guys. I just imposed an unfunded mandate on you guys. You have no idea what it's about. It's massive regulation. It's going to cost you millions of dollars, and you get no say over it. Isn't that awesome? Oh, and just to add a bonus, you got to tax your citizens right. to pay. And, and, and you get the credit for taxes. Right. So, I mean, the, the, what the legislature would have said in response, it's kind of very Trumpian. You're fired. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what they, nowadays, these guys do it with impunity, these senators. They go to Washington, D.C., they vote to crush the states, to impose regulations and taxes and, and unfunded mandates, and there's no consequence on them. Senators were never meant to represent the people. That's the House. That's why we call it the People's House. So this is a structural break in our system of governance. There are many others. So when you have structural breaks, how do you remedy them? You remedy the breaks. You don't do it by electing better people. You go after the things that are broken. Here's another great example. A lot of these breaks have been caused by the United States Supreme Court, not by the people passing uh, amendments. Yeah, surprise, right? This is a story I like to tell. You guys should get one of these. We told the story in committee today. You you guys probably have pocket constitutions. So many people carry those around now. And so people say to me all the time, Mark, why do you want to do this? Our beloved constitution. And I say, well, which constitution? What do you mean by that? (laughs) And they usually look at me very puzzled. The 13-page one or the the 10,000-page That's exactly it. So we have two constitutions. Now, we have the one that we all know and love and understand. It's easy, simple, plain language. The one that nobody follows. The one one that nobody follows anymore. And the reason they don't is because we have another one. You could actually order it from the government printing office. It's now 2,738 pages as of the last full edition, which is 2012 with the supplements. It's over 3,000 pages. It weighs over 10 pounds. People will say to me, Mark, that's not the Constitution, though. And I say, buy it. It's 130 bucks if you want to spend the 130 bucks. On the spine, it says, the Constitution of the United States of America. So this is what the government now considers to be the Constitution. When people say the federal government doesn't follow the Constitution, mostly that's not true. They follow that one. By the way, in that one is Roe versus Wade. In that one is the Obamacare decision. In that one is all the authority for the federal government through the Commerce Clause to have the Department of Education, Energy, Commerce, USDA, FDA, DEA, all these things that, in my opinion, are inherently unconstitutional. Absolutely. But where the authority has been granted by an out-of-control Supreme Court. So those are structural problems. So to me, as a problem solver, the question is, well, how do we fix that? And the answer is the founders gave us Article 5 and said, if you don't like a bunch of the stuff that the federal government does, you have the authority under Article 5 to call a, const, uh, a uh, convention of states and to fix it through constitutional amendment. So that's what we're doing because I believe in fixing problems, not just complaining about them. Okay, so we are working on and have been working on for quite some time now to get uh, Arkansas being one of the states that agrees to calling the convention of states. If we do that this year, how many states will we have then? So right now there are 12 states that have passed. It takes 34 states, according to the Constitution. Two-thirds of states have to call. So you guys would be number 13. I expect we're going to get another 8 or 10 this year during this legislative session, hopefully bringing us to somewhere between uh, 20 and 24. So we're getting, at that point, we're within real striking distance. Yeah, I think, I I actually believe we're going to get this done, and this is why. 
you know, we're divided on almost everything as a nation. You could pull almost anything, yes. right? It's going to be 50-50, 49-51. That's, so there's all this vitriol and division. We've pulled this now. I think we pulled it in 12 states, including here in Arkansas. And when we pull the idea of a convention of states to do the things we're talking about, these are the numbers. Overall here in Arkansas, 68% of voters want to call a convention of states to restrain the scope, power, and jurisdiction of the federal government. That includes Democrats, by the way. Over 80% of Republicans, over 66% of independents, pretty much everybody wants to. So at a time when we don't agree on anything, we all agree we got to figure out how to take the power away from the federal government. All right. Mark Meckler is our guest. we got to get a break in. Let's do that. We'll come back. We'll talk more with him. Question that we'll ask when we come back, what are the myths people are uh, believing that are against uh, the Convention of States? Because most of the people who are speaking against it don't know what they're talking about. We'll uh, get to that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. we got Mark Meckler here. Uh, we're sitting right on the third floor, house side. Um, the politicians have gone, so I don't have to hold my voice down today. I can uh, I can just talk to you a little bit. And, and, and let's talk, Mark, about what I said as we left, and that was a simple thing. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the Convention of States. You always hear, you say, well, I'd like to see a Convention of States. Oh, no, 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 runaway convention, runaway convention. <laughs> you hear it all yeah. the time. It ain't going to happen. Do you honestly believe the founders would have given us this opportunity? Now, I'm going to say they didn't want us to use it unless we had to use it. But we're at that point where we got to use it. Would you agree? I do agree. And certainly they set the bar high enough that it's not easy to use. No. So it's not like they intended us to use it willy-nilly. To get two-thirds of states to call a convention is hard. And then remember, when you get in convention, the authority of the convention itself is precisely nothing. (laughs) I call it a suggesting convention. Those guys can get together, and they can have a conversation, and then they can make some suggestions. And then it takes 38 states to ratify what I would describe as a super, super majority. So the founders set this bar extraordinarily high to Basically what they did, and they, they said, instead of going from the Congress and getting them and sending it to the states and getting the 38, we're going to let the people send it to the states and try to get a, a, a constitutional amendment in there. Yeah, you know, and as people who believe in original intent, who want to understand what the founders were actually thinking, how that got in there is really important. So on September 15th of 1787, two days before the end of the convention, when the Constitution actually gets signed by the guys that are there, Colonel George Mason, the guy who said more than anybody else at convention, stands up and he addresses the assembled uh, men and he says, we have a fundamental problem with this document. We've created a document that gives the power to Congress to propose amendments, but we haven't given that same power to the people in the states acting through their state legislatures. good. And then he asks the question. He asks, are we so naive that we believe that a federal government that becomes a tyranny will propose amendments to restrain its own tyranny? Mm-hmm. Now, you laugh. I think they laughed. I, I bet you they laughed. We don't know. We don't have YouTube or anything from back then. But what we do have are Madison's notes. You know how good those notes yeah, are, right? they're very good. They argued about everything. Madison's notes in this case say two small Latin words, nin com. That means no comment. In other words, not one person objected to what Madison or to what Mason had suggested. And in fact, they then vote on the proposal to give the states the power. It's unanimous. It's the only thing I'm aware of in the Constitution that is adopted unanimously without debate to give you and me the power acting through our state legislatures to restrain the federal government. Well, it's important. The other thing that's important, Mark, that everybody has to understand is that the state legislators that were out there in the country at that time, 
these men that were writing the Constitution wanted them to have most of the power. Yeah, you just nailed it. I said that in committee today to the state legislators on that committee. It's really interesting. Those committee members, state legislators generally, have more power than anybody in the federal government because they have the power to call a convention, to propose amendments, and to ratify amendments there by affecting the very structure of our system of governance. Mm -hmm. The founders gave them that power. And there's a reason, because most of the guys in that convention, they were state legislators or county councilmen, right? They'd been on provincial governments. They, They knew that government closest to the people was the best kind, and they knew they would have to hold the wall of liberty. What do people hear on my show constantly, Elizabeth? What do I tell them? I talk, I talk seldom about the federal government, and I talk all the time about state government. And we were just talking about that. You have the most effect locally on, you know, directly. And it has the most effect on you. That's right. Locally. Well, that's why this is so important. So today, we've reversed the power pyramid. It used to be that most of the spending and power was at the state and local level, very little at the federal level. That's how it was intended to be, right? You've got the powers of the federal government are limited and narrowly defined, and powers of the states unenumerated and broadly interpreted. That's the way it was supposed to be. Today, it's the reverse, and that's a problem. All right. Hold your thought. We've got to get a break in. i got news coming up. Let's give you uh, what the big story is here in the next uh, six seconds uh, and give you 60 seconds of what's really important and going on out there. Awesome, actually. All right. Back with you here at State Capitol, third floor, house side, uh, Dave Ellswick, Paul Calvert, Elizabeth Saltolaro, and our guest, Mark Meckler. Uh, Mark is the uh, president of the... Of course, a Convention of States. It's been an interesting conversation thus far. Do you remember where you dropped off at, Mark, and can you pick it up? Well, I think we were talking about you know why the power pyramid and where power resides now, what we're really trying to do, which is bring the power back to the people. I can simplify all this. We can talk constitution. We can talk theory. We can talk history. But this is really, I'm a pretty simple grassroots guy. This is what it's all about to me. We argue all the time in American politics about what we should do. At the federal level, they love these arguments. Obamacare versus free market health care. What's the immigration policy? How high should corporate taxes be? Every one of those debates has an underlying premise, which I do not accept. The underlying premise is smart people in Washington, D.C. will make these decisions for you. Well, first of all, there aren't very many smart people in Washington, so that premise is wrong. They have redefined smart. There we go. They they have their own definition of smart, right? So, And then just the idea that the decisions should be made there. And the reality is the decisions should be made at home close to the people. So the real fight that we should be having, what the narrative should be, is a simple question. Who decides? You and me about our own lives and our families' lives and the private sector or some federal government bureaucrat far away. We let them make the, de- the, the debate about should we take care of grandma. Absolutely we should take care of grandma, but that entity should not. It's my job. It's your job. My mother's a widow. It's not your job to take care of her. It's my job. Somebody should take care of my mother. Yes. But not you. So I think you're not on the federal government. You're, you're, on you're, some, getting, you're getting too much Judeo-Christian thought <laughs> into that. Well, no. He. So here's something really important that you're onto, which is the definition of the alternatives. So this is the way I engage in politics. Always, I've been taught this by people way smarter than me. The ultimate instrument of political power is the definition of the alternatives. So in just plain English, what that means is whoever decides what the fight is about wins the fight. Mm -hmm. So you posited that, I think, partially correctly. But what the left would say is 
do you think grandma should just be allowed to die in the street or do you think she should have care? Right. And you're going to, so now you're in a defensive position, right? Because that's, that's not a real alternative. Those are not the alternatives. There are other, you've said the, no, I should take. So if the real fight should be, do you think the government has the responsibility of caring for everybody or do you think families should? That's a, that's so that's question. That's the so now you're on your playing field, mm-hmm. and what we as conservatives have a tendency to do is accept the playing field of the radical left. We've been doing this for decades. Right. They they ask you, well, do you believe in clean air and clean water? Or do you want dirty air and dirty water? Like that's not. I and don't. So it's a and or if. So they've defined the alternative. Okay with dirty choices. water in the toilet. False in the, choices. Well, false. So they define the underlying premise. If you accept that, you lose the argument. Mm-hmm. I ask people on the left, why do you hate poor people so much? Do you want $4 a gallon gas or do you want poor people to be able to feed their family? Right? That's a better definition. And that's reality. Right. That's a, If you're struggling to get by and gas is 4 bucks a gallon, you're going to struggle to feed your family. Sure. So I would rather posit that question to somebody on the left. Do you want poor people to starve? $4 a gallon gas. That's what it does. And so if we redefine the alternatives, in my opinion, not so to our advantage, but to reality, we win the arguments. Yeah, okay, I mean, that makes sense. I think you're right. Because a lot of times you win the argument when, we, when you're establishing premises. Okay, so... If we can win the argument, then can we win to get the state to get behind the Convention of the States? The answer is absolutely yes. Look, we've already done it in 12 states, which is one-third of the states that we need. We just came out of the Senate committee today, mm-hmm. so we're going to go on to the floor. I feel pretty good about it. I never make predictions, but I feel like we look pretty good in the Senate. I think it's a longer uh, march through the House. But I think we're going to do it because of the grassroots. It's not just because the idea is good. It's not just because it was the founders. We had a whole bunch of grassroots show up today. That hearing room was packed with people wearing convention estates buttons. That is the power of grassroots activism. I know you're a big fan of grassroots activism. Absolutely. But she's doing it. Okay, she Absolutely. is. Absolutely. So, look, she and I come out of the same movement at the exact same time. We knew each other way back when. Roll in the your sleeves party. up and get busy. That's it. And so when you see a committee hearing room full of activists like that, that's meaningful to the legislators. And that's the way government's supposed to work. We're gonna, I guarantee you we're going to pack the House. We're going to flood their inboxes with emails, more importantly, handwritten letters from constituents. If folks are fans of the Convention of States movement, go to conventionofstates.com, sign the petition, get involved here locally, though. That means go to a letter-writing party, become a district captain. We're going to get this done, but only if people get engaged in their own self-governance. All right, so what's the problem with them in the House? Okay, I mean, we got, we <laughs> got, the, the, ma- we got the majority... Why are people hanging back? You know, so there's a... I'm going to give you, to the best I can, in an unbiased way, the arguments of our opposition. Okay. It's really a quite simple argument. What they say is there's going to be a runaway convention. We're going to get delegates in convention. They're going to do whatever they want, and they're going to trash the Constitution. Okay. Then it, They've already uh, trashed the Constitution. Uh, that is true. So I think I, I go back to which Constitution are yeah, they talking about. Yeah, that's a about? good one. Are they protecting the 3,000-page one or the, or the little 13-page one? And the reality is they're protecting the 3,000-page one. Uh, but I, I want to give their arguments a little bit more credence than that, because what they're talking about is procedure. They're talking about, are they going to run away? Can delegates do whatever they want? Can they do away with the Second Amendment or the First Amendment? These are the fears that are proffered. And the, the answer to all of that is that's all really just fantasy and conjecture and craziness. And here's why. You have to remember what a convention is. So if you get into convention, the delegates go to convention, their authority is nothing. They literally can't do anything. What they can do is get together, 
debate and then make some suggestions. Correct. That's all they can. So people are, I don't understand this. Like, well, we should be very scared because people are going to a meeting and they're going to write some stuff down and then they're going to tell us what their ideas were. Well, that's fine. They can <laughs> tell us what their ideas, they can't make it law. I've never been scared of anybody going, even the bad radical leftists, as far as I'm concerned, if they want to go in a meeting and come out and tell us what their suggestions are, I'll, I'll listen I, I, to ideas them. Ideas are scary, man, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, and so to me, those are ideas. That's fine. has to be ratified by 38 states. So let me tell you the one that I hear the most often, right? I hear people say we're going to lose the Second Amendment because the leftists are going to take over the convention. They're going to propose uh, repealing the Second Amendment. They're going to pass that out. First of all, there's all kinds of protections along the way. We could talk about that later if we get into the details. That can't happen. The convention is limited on subject matter, blah, blah, blah. But let's say Let's say the Californians bring really good Kool-Aid. Yeah, I'm from California originally, so that could happen. They, okay. They've got a bus that's full of some st- illicit contraband. Uh-huh. I bet you that it's not Kool-Aid. I, bet you, yeah, I bet you it's Bud. There you go. So right, That's what I'm thinking. So somebody stands up. They, they suggest this. Remember, any delegate can make a point of order and say that's out of order. And we're not allowed to talk about that. Let's say that all gets overridden. Let's say somehow they get the majority of states to agree to pass something out limiting or doing it with the Second Amendment. Then it's a suggestion. Now it goes out to the states for ratification. Now, I've been in 44 states in the last two years. If it takes 38 states to ratify, it means it takes only 13 states to stop something from being ratified. So that would mean, in our case, the 13 most conservative states. It would actually mean only one body in each of the legislatures in the most conservative states. So I'm just going to tell you from being in those states, this is my personal experience. Just God bless you and and save your soul if you walk into the legislature in Tennessee and suggest that they take up an amendment to repeal the Second Amendment, or Georgia, or Alabama, or Alaska, for that matter, or Arkansas, or Arkansas. What, what? There's not that. Neither house would even take that up here in Arkansas. The idea that you could get 38 states to ratify an amendment to repeal the Second Amendment—it's just pure fantasy. So, okay. what if what if it's something not not an actual repeal, yep. but what if it's more along the lines of a a national permit right and so it's not actually couched as a repeal of the second amendment it's it's actually a it's couched as a as a um a restoration of our rights or or something of that nature and so it it manages to get through you know that, that might pass in arkansas well so first of all remember uh, now we get we'll get into the convention itself that can't even be discussed in convention because that's an increase in federal power right because you're well, they, giving they, they might actually say it's a decrease in federal power because right now I can't carry it in California so you're talking if you get uh, national reciprocity or national reciprocity or something of that nature or, or a national um, concealed carry permit they, some might actually claim this is a reduction in government because it um, I mean, but it would, re- it would require a federal agency it, it and federal regulations and federal law, and that cannot. I mean, it there's. Would, but we're talking about people trying to manipulate government. I understand you can make that. All kinds of definitions. For- you can, but again, remember, this is going to be in a national spotlight. Right. The greatest constitutional scholars in the country are going to be on this, and the way this was drafted. So we had this drafted internally, and then we ran it by the most severe conservative constitutional scholars in America. Guys like Randy Barnett at Georgetown, Professor Robbie George at Princeton. And these are hardcore conservative scholars. And we told them, come up with an amendment that could potentially in some way decrease our liberties or increase federal power under these resolutions. They they could, by the way, the first time we did this, and then they recrafted and tightened it down. So they said there is nothing that could qualify from a legal perspective. Now, I want to I want to give you something that's really important, which is like, human beings are weird. They do crazy stuff. You know, you know how... how- 
dumb arguments that people use? People make really dumb arguments. I mean, whether religious or... We're talking about Cortez. Or or political. (laughs) The the arguments that people come up with is like, you know, if you weren't living in a box to, to, to make that make sense, it wouldn't make sense to anybody. But it still makes sense because they're living in this. So you still have to be able to find both houses in the most conservative legislator legislatures in the country to approve that. And I've been to all of them. I'm going to tell you, you get strung up if you make even if you were to say national registry, you get strung up in all of this. Yeah. Well, if you if you say only reciprocity, if there was nothing else attached to it, if you say we're limiting the federal government's ability to control guns as you move state to state. And that was the only thing I think you could probably pass that. But as soon as you started attaching other stuff to it. Look, there's a gun rights group in every single conservative state in America. They're not going for that. There is, but, but we had to trick the legislature here in Arkansas just so that we could carry guns without a permit. It had to be done secretly. <laughs> and th- 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 You th- did get it done, though, right? It happened. Oh, yeah, they haven't done that in Texas yet, so God bless y'all for getting it done here. It happened, and they actually managed to snooker a, a Democrat governor and signing the thing. That's impressive. Well, we're still working on that in Texas. I'll keep you posted. No. <laughs> but the, the bottom line is, Paul, and I think it's well point well taken from Mark, is that you can conjure up any kind of fictitious you know, hyperbole that you want and say, this could happen. I'm not going to say it can't happen, but what are the processes that it will happen? They're very, very, very... Yeah, well, let me add one more thing, because you have specific language here in SJR 3 that says, this application is made with the express understanding that an amendment that in any way seeks to amend, modify, or repeal any provision of the Bill of Rights of the United States Constitution shall not be authorized for consideration in any state. so it's excluded. And and so, but but even even if it did, and and we talked about this some earlier, I think the fact is that if something radical did come out of that, I think it might actually effectively wake some of us up. So if something really bad does come out of it, you know, it it might help us. It might help us to wake up and, you know what, this is not going to work. We're not going to let it happen. Bring guns. All right. got to take a break. (laughs) We'll come back. And when we come back, Mark, uh, you tell me what your overall feeling is about the the house here in Arkansas. we got more to talk about. Convention of the States. Don't forget, next hour... The governor's spokesman's here. What uh, is he saying? Uh, the way things are happening uh, here in the session thus far, as far as the governor's concerned. That's all coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we've got Mark Meckler here. He's the president, Convention of States. I think this is the thing that we have to do. Uh, it's going to take a few more years to get it called, but if it gets called, uh, it's going to be a lot of work uh, to get the, the things up there that we want to be made into, you know, constitutional amendments. And then you got state by state that you got to slog through and and uh, and defeat. Just to think this is how easy it is. The ERA is not a constitutional amendment. No, yeah. look, it's and, again, and it started in the 70s. The bar is super high. Uh, yeah, you I mean that got defeated. There's really interesting, just a sidebar in the ERA that, that originally had a seven year timeline set on it. 
Uh, they tried to exceed the timeline. And this is how also we know that the rules will be enforced. That got litigated. They tried to extend that timeline. The court, lower courts ruled you can't extend a timeline. The rules are the rules when they get set. Well, because you had people that were signing on to it with that timeline on Correct. Place. Exactly. So the rules, that it's like changing the rules of the game midstream. You can't do that. This is how we know that even the federal courts will say the rules are the rules. Uh, and so, But now there are folks trying to reinvigorate the ERA and say that it could still be ratified. So yep. that, that's going on right now. Actually, our organization is helping fund a lawsuit against that. That's just a little bit of an so aside. That's actually related to a question I had. Um, so how many years do you have to actually get all of these states to come on board? There's no timeline. Because we haven't put a timeline on. No, and there's no timeline for, for getting to convention. Generally, coming out of convention, there will now be a timeline set on how long you have to ratify. Okay. But to get to convention, no timeline on that. There's something I want to make sure we get in here, because I know there are folks who are listening who self-identify as really serious conservatives. They are my brothers and sisters of the heart in preserving the Constitution and the nation, and they're against this. And that breaks my heart. And here's what I want them to know. And I I want them to to get serious about this and really take a look. Not for me to convince them, but here's what I want you to know. If you say that there's going to be a runaway convention, I've heard it from a lot of y'all. If you say there's going to be a runaway convention, I just got it. I want you to understand the kind of company that you're in now in America. Over 230 now of 250 leftist groups, every single leftist group you can name, and I do mean every leftist group you can name, MoveOn.org, Daily Cause, every public employee union, Planned Parenthood, La Raza, every leftist group, well, Common Cause, Center on Budget and Policy, every single one of them signed a press release against what we're doing. Now, if you're a conservative or libertarian, What's that tell you? and you're saying runaway convention, that's exactly what they're saying, by the way. Mm-hmm. And But they're going to add one thing. You know, the progressives usually are not very honest. They said something very honest about Convention of States. They said, these people are trying to erase 115 years of progressivism. Mm-hmm. And I say, yes. Well, they, yes. they've had, in, in to, to a great extent, they've had the Supreme Court to do this for them. That's correct. They've been amending the Constitution uh, judicially or by executive fiat or however for literally since right. the 1900s. And, and we don't have Congress that that has the intestinal fortitude to stop it. That's correct. And so so that's this comes out of the radical left. You don't have to believe me. Here's what I would say. Go on to the Convention of States website, look up Horowitz. David Horowitz, the famous author who's written about the radical left in America. You've heard him on the show many a time. Awesome man. He wrote a four page piece documenting how this runaway convention thing is leftist propaganda designed to get conservatives to work against themselves. So if that's you then when you're getting ready for bed tonight, when you're brushing your teeth, hope you brush your teeth. You're looking in the mirror. Tooth. Yeah, your tooth. <laughs> looking in the mirror. I hope you see George Soros standing behind you. All these other people who agree with you. Be careful who you're in bed with. Take a real look. Don't believe the propaganda that they've fed to you. Take a look for yourself. All right. So where are we with uh, you know the House here in Arkansas? What's it looking like? Are they going to come aboard on this? Well, I think it looks better than ever before. You all had Senator Coburn on yesterday. Mm-hmm. Man, it's just a privilege to be with a statesman like that. They, we invited 135 folks from the House. Uh, we had a bunch of them show up. 20 of them were Republicans who voted against COS last year. I think right. Coburn made a tremendous impact on them. That's what I've heard. Uh, we had a bunch of new legislators who were on the fence. This is the most important thing I heard. We had... A legislator uh, who said, absolutely not, hell no, this is never going to happen over my dead body, who yesterday said, I'm voting for you. 
And the reason it wasn't Coburn, it wasn't me, it was because a couple of his constituents sent him handwritten letters. And he wrote back in response to those handwritten letters and said, because you guys reached out and you wrote me these letters, I'm going to support Convention of State. So if you're listening and you're a supporter, man, pick up the pen, put it to paper, put that in an envelope, put the stamp on it, get it to your legislator. It makes a huge difference. Now. And now. Be, I heard, and I heard be, a version of that story actually at lunch today about a different legislator and, and the be person nice. brought, brought the note and said he tells me he's voting for it because I wrote him right here on this note. And you, you know, Directly. I just heard you say be nice. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so important. These Absolutely. guys take so much abuse. They get almost no accolades for what they Whether do. Whether they're doing good or bad. Right. Everybody calls up and yells at them and I understand the temptation to do that out of frustration. Look, these are human beings. They're given of their time and their lives to be here in your legislature. Look, you voted I've, them in. I value them. Some of them take a pretty serious pay cut. Yeah, absolutely. Some of them, do. some, some of them don't. But so, but it, so it's just important that we remember this is our system and they're here to serve us and I'll, I'll be honest with you I've, I've met with hundreds of these folks all over the country mostly well-intentioned whether I agree with them disagree with them most of them come to their state capitals for the right reason they may end up not having the right reasons later on most of them come here I, with I, a good heart I think you're right I think they do mean well some at, of them don't really have a very good moral compass but I agree they, with that. they mean well a lot of yep. cases. at this point with the public discourse being as poor as it is you either really want to be there or you've got to be really crooked I mean, yeah. there's no in between well right? when we started this organization we we had this weird idea that we were going to be nice and we were told that's crazy in politics you can't succeed well now we have 3.75 million people around the country we've got folks in every single state legislative district we've passed in 12 states we're doing something that's never been done before and at the root of everything we do is a christian ethos we love our neighbors we love everybody who we cross paths with will you be contacting these people should they want to volunteer uh me or someone from our organization okay and we do need volunteers. I mean, we've we've got, uh, and we, as you have indicated, uh, all, all the source-funded organizations, a lot of people are going to come out of the woodwork, put a lot of money behind fighting this, and we're going to have to be able to speak with our neighbors and say, no, here's why it's not going to be a runaway convention. And we've got to keep reinforcing the legislators who are on our side but they're getting barraged daily, and we need to hold them up. We need to we need to have their back. So, all right, Randy, thanks for coming on. We will be keeping you up uh, on the station and telling Thank you, people Dave. that exact same message over and over and over again. Mark, when you're back in the state, let me know. You got a microphone whenever you're here. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here covering the legislature. It's important. no problem. All right, let's take a break. Got news. J.R. Davis coming up right after the news here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we move into the uh, three o'clock hour. Typically on a Thursday, it would be in the two o'clock hour that J.R. Davis would join us and would be part of the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, we were told that the folks from. Uh, the Convention of States were going to be here at the Capitol. Yesterday, uh, Senator Colburn decided to go on instead of today. So we had him on, but Mark Meckler came on today. So we uh, we stayed with uh, our timeline that we set up, and I got a hold of uh, Jr. and asked him if he would mind moving to uh, 3 o'clock to, to do our hour together. And he was gracious enough to say no problem. I think it has a lot to do with he's really close right now. Didn't have to right. drive across town to get yeah, there. It's a little and things easier of that to move things around. But hey, you are welcome to bump me for. Oh no, no, I, I, 
day of the week. <laughs> they, you know, when, when we get special guests into the Capitol like that, um, you know, they usually have a time frame that they can oh, yeah. work with. And when, he, and, and when, look, when Senator Coburn, who I almost venerate the guy, all right, he's an amazing, was an amazing senator from Oklahoma, uh, and he was fantastic yesterday, by the way, when he was on. Uh, when he says, I can do 2.30, can we make that happen? I wrote back and said, yes. And then I got a hold of you and I said, can you make 3 <laughs> o'clock happen? And you said, yes. And I said, there you go. well, that's good because if you had said no, I would have said, well, we'll pick it up Sorry, again yeah. next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll I know do. how it works. I yeah. know how it works. Well, you've been in the biz. You know hey, how I'm not it arrogant goes. enough to be like, Dave, I don't know if I can make that work. When yeah. Dave tells me I can come on, I'll Well, he comes on. You work. come on every week. We love having you on and, and talking to you. Uh, the session has been underway now for a couple of weeks. How do uh, how does the governor feel about it? I think it's still early on. Obviously, still confident uh, with uh, our initiatives uh, that we've talked about in previous weeks. Uh, yesterday, the uh, Arkansas Republican Women's Legislative Caucus rolled out their initiatives. Part of that was the governor's initiative as well with the DYS and uh, juvenile justice reform. Right, it's all that. So that's that's exciting. Uh, they're doing a lot of good work uh, over there in the House and Senate. Um, and really and truly a lot of great issues that, that affect all Arkansans, uh, regardless of, of party or gender or anything like that. So I thought that was a, a strong work by the, their caucus. Uh, and then as far as the governor's uh, four T's, obviously transformation, or excuse me, transportation, we're uh, still having conversations with legislative leadership and, and other members of the legislature. Uh, and, of course, I'll certainly update you on that as we get more information. Uh, transformation is is, is going are, are forward. You, are yep. you getting some sticky points on the transformation thing? It Transfer- seems like it's going pretty easy right it, It's now. going, yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, again, I think it's part of the fact that we, we've been working on this for two years, and the governor rolled it out in September of last year, and we've really just been, um, you know, vetting different components and, and uh, meeting with different groups and making sure we're dotting our I's, talk, crossing our T's. I mean, this is major reform to state government. So uh, I think just getting it out there early and letting people see it and have those conversations uh, was really, really helpful uh, to uh, reach that consensus on it. So yeah, it's you really started pushing this, what, middle of November? Well, we yeah, we actually announced it in, um, I want to say, maybe towards the end of September, 1st okay. of October, because the governor held those five town halls across the state. That's right. Uh, talking about those four T's, but uh, mainly just kind of getting the word out about trans, uh, transformation. So we feel really good about that. Um, no real uh, pushback from anyone. I think in general people know this is needed, uh, and it's a part of history. You know, to be able to do something we haven't done in 50 years, uh, to be a part of, of that historical uh, um, um, reform of state government is, I, I think, uh, pretty special for a lot of folks. So we feel good about that. Uh, tax cuts we're still working on, um, making sure we have all that ready to go uh, for the legislature. And then, of course, uh, teacher pay, uh, Representative Cozart has already um, filed that legislation. So we're looking good on all fronts. Um, but again, we're, like you said, two weeks in. So uh, we'll see what happens in the next two and a half months. So. Okay. Well, yeah, there's a, there's some ways to go on this. And everybody's kind of starting to feel uh, where they're at. Interesting story in the Dem Gas, I think, on Tuesday. Let me see if that's when it was. I got some old newspapers. I think it was on Tuesday. 
it, I, it just I saw the story and I wanted to hold on to it to talk about it what was it about uh, the people the people signing Grover Norquist yeah the no uh, tax increase pledge at yeah. state highway bump Yes, there we go. Yeah, so, line. Mm-hmm. So, so how are you? Are you still feeling good about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I think uh, obviously a, a lot of these groups, um, uh, you know, look at sort of the net um, tax result. So whether it's a net tax decrease or net tax increase, um, but we feel very, very confident that. Uh, as the governor stated in his state of the state, that look, our our plan, uh, we have uh, um, made sure and directed DFNA to make sure whatever plan we put forward, um, you know, raises doesn't raise anyone's taxes, and that's really important. Obviously, when you're dealing like this, I mean, the funny thing is when you talk about simplifying tax brackets, and we're still you know looking at that and having a conversation with it. It's funny that we use the word simplify because there's nothing simple about it. It's very complex, and uh, and you have to really take a close look and make sure you're not. Uh, there are no you know unforeseen and unintended consequences uh, for folks uh, in any part of the tax bracket. So, uh, but right now we're we're not worried about that. Uh, again, I think those groups will look at the overall uh, uh, net tax result, and that's how they'll score it. But we're confident that uh, we're we're. We're cutting taxes. That's what we're doing. Well, so. this kind of plays into what the governor has been saying, though. He doesn't. He didn't think it should be something that was forced upon the people through legislative action, but something that was presented to the people to see if they would go along with it. Yeah, no, that's what the governor said all along with highways. And, and, uh, and to his point, I mean, I've said this before, that, uh, you know, the idea was basically – uh, you know, if we're if we're going to raise taxes, or if there's or if it's a necessity for you know user taxes on roads, we have to build new infrastructure. The people of Arkansas should be able to uh, decide for themselves. I think historically, Arkansans have supported uh, infrastructure, uh, and I think we saw that in 2012, I believe. Uh, so well, you can go uh, all the way back. You can go all the way back. Most, yeah, exactly. I mean, the most recent, obviously, was the 2012. Um, election, and so right. I think historically Arkansans know that it's a necessity. Um, but I think also uh, we we want just like we do. We want to look at the numbers and see what makes sense, where it's going, and we want it to be clear. But the governor's always maintained that if we're going to do it, let's send it to the people for a vote. Uh, you know, I think uh, as of the last couple of months, he's had conversations with legislators. There's different factions that think, hey, maybe we can do something inside the legislature during this session, or maybe parts of it, and then refer another part of it out. Uh, and the governor, of course, look, it's the legislative body. Uh, he wants to give them latitude to have those conversations and see if they can reach some sort of consensus, and then he'll take a look at it. Uh, but again, he hasn't wavered from you know his stance that he thinks the best way to move forward is is referring a vote to the people. Okay. I'm just thinking that this lets off the people as well that have taken that pledge to to Grover (laughs) Norquist that they say they won't vote for any new... ...to the Capitol to make these types of decisions. Um, And, and, and yes, I understand that thought, but when you're talking about a plan as, uh, as substantive as this highway plan is going to be, and you're talking...
It's important to have the debate, and it's important for those legislators to make the decision as to what they need to refer to the people of Arkansas. But I also think that it's a uh, sort of a joint venture here in that the legislature makes this decision, they refer it out, and then the people of Arkansas have a straight up or down decision to make. And, uh, and I think that's important with something like this. I mean, this is a, a major uh, initiative, a major uh, plan um, that they're working on, and so I think it's fair to, to kind of do it by committee. All right. We're going to take a break when we come back. Uh, he is on his way home, so he can't join us today. But Bob Ballinger has a piece of legislation that's out there dealing with uh, a vote that we took back in the last election about the minimum wage. We're going to talk about that because he's taking some uh, some grief about it. We'll talk about it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you here at the Capitol, third floor, house side. And uh, we will be here today. Tomorrow we'll be back in studio and then back at the state capitol on Monday. Uh, we've been having a little problem with our uh, live uh, feed for Facebook. We're still working on it, but we're having a problem with the boost. Not uh, This is going in deeper than what you want, but the boost is not hooking up with the uh, the camera correctly. So... Uh, it's kicking in and kicking out. So we're doing what we can uh, to give you as much of the uh, Facebook as as we can at this time. But you get to hear us on the radio. And, uh, you know, J.R. Davis is here. He's the governor's spokesman. Uh, we do th- we're going to do this every Thursday because it's a real short walk from where he's at to where we're at. About one floor, and he gets his steps in, and we get him in. That's right. It works out really yeah. well that way. So but now it's only a mile if you go around thirteen times. That's right. Go around thirteen <laughs> times. And not yet. Maybe by the end of the session, we'll count it as a mile. That's a long. So. That's a long way. I'm just saying that. That's a. It's kind of funny. I, that's got to be on one floor if you go all the way around. On the fourth floor. On the fourth. Thirteen four, times oh. is one mile. Huh. Okay. Well then. So I, don't know. I know I I walk more because I go up and down those steps and around those floors, and I'm not on the third floor the whole time. With that said, let me get back to with Jr. And that is that uh, uh, Senator Bob Ballinger has been trying to get a piece of legislature heard and get it through the Senate and get it through the House, but it's causing some heartburn out there amongst the voters because he's trying. And I think he's rightfully trying to correct something that I don't think people understood when they voted for a minimum wage increase. And that is, you're going to put some businesses out of business. Sure. You betcha. Because of what you're doing, which is going to just do just the opposite of what you were hoping. That people would get better, better pay. Uh, that you'd have you'd have jobs out there that paid better, and what you're going to have is you're going to have less jobs, and maybe you had four people, and now you got two people sure. that they can yeah. pay. Well, if you, and, maybe and, fewer options for people as well. Well, a lot. It's you know it, and I know it, and most econo- uh, econ- uh, economic. Economist, economist. Thank you. I got got. <laughs> How stuck many different ways that. can we say that? I got word, stuck uh, in my mouth. But the bottom line, they'll tell you what's going to happen. Yeah, and we've seen it happen time and time again, and you know it sounds good, it sounds you know pretty, but it's Pollyannish. I mean, people need to understand that. Yeah, and they I, don't. I, go ahead. If you have a small business, and I we used to own a small business, if I'm not going to get you know ten, eleven, twelve, fifteen dollars an hour worth of work, 
out of this individual, then I can't afford to hire them. Or if I do, I'm going in the hole for every hour they work for me. It doesn't make sense economically. Yeah, and again, this was a you know an, an initiated act. Uh, yep. It's it's easy to say, hey, people are going to get paid more. Uh, let's help folks get more money and that sort of thing. But there's always unintended consequences. And the governor uh, on well, the campaign trail, yeah, I mean he's and he's been leery of this. I mean he supported the last minimum wage increase because I think it was due. It's been a while. It, w- it had been a while in Arkansas since that had been raised. That's fine. Uh, that was absorbed for the most part. I think when you try to do this again and, and you continue to uh, increase those minimum wages and put people in a, in a, especially small business owners, mom and pop shops, put them in a, in a position where they're either having to work more hours themselves, cut back on hours of their employees, or just you know uh, relieve some of their employees you of their duties altogether. Hire, can't afford to hire them. And so I think it's, yeah, obviously unintended consequences. The full story wasn't out there, although I know uh, uh, Senator Ballin uh, the governor, uh, were out there. The uh, chamber, the lieutenant, the lieutenant, lieutenant governor. governor. I mean, people were out there saying, "Look, this is this isn't what it looks like." Um, but then again, you have to balance the fact that uh, you know it's a democracy, and, and the folks voted for it, and and so you have to be careful. And that's all I'm saying with that. And I think that's the governor's take too: is that look, this wasn't the right policy. Um, just like he came out against medical marijuana. But at the end of the day, when, when voters vote for it, um, it's uh, uh, you, obviously you want to make sure you're doing the, the people's will. I will say this, though. Uh, there are waivers with the Department of Labor right now uh, that exempt certain uh, businesses and uh, oh. level employees, okay. you know, if you have less than four and that sort of thing. So there are some waivers that, that businesses can get right now from the Department of Labor. Uh, I haven't seen Senator Ballinger's bill. Uh, I thought that's what his bill. All the way through. Yes. You know, it's like 50 employees or yeah, less, not four or has, less. So I think well, he's yeah, going to expand. There's some other, yeah, and there's some other waivers as well. I don't know all yeah. of them, but they, they do take those into account. Uh, you know, so, and I, th- I believe, if I'm not mistaken, maybe there was an amendment or he's considering something. I'm not sure what the changes are. So we're definitely going to take a look at that uh, and watch that closely. But I certainly understand yeah, where Senator Ballinger's coming from. I'm already seeing the letters to the editor. And so oh. trying to take this away from us oh, and course. blah, blah, blah. So my question then yeah. is, it, it's an initiated act. Does it become necessary at that point to say, you know, we can do initiated acts, but there's certain things you can't do initiated acts on, like you don't have the right to tell, you know, owners of businesses what they got to pay people. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure those conversations are already uh, being had. You know, obviously, each session, the legislature gets to refer out three uh, amendments. Uh, I know they've, they've uh, you know, there's talk of whether or not to use all three. But I do think in this case, I think there's some talk about, you know, uh, trying to make that a little more difficult. Obviously, again, you have to balance it with you know, the people's right to be able to, to, to get out there and get signatures and that sort of thing. But uh, you're exactly right. I, I think, again, there are waivers of the Department of Labor. We definitely want to study this. But I also think as a party, we have to be careful because it's easy to say things like the people voted for medical marijuana, the state's dragged its feet. You know, the people voted for increase the minimum wage. Now they're trying to take it back. Uh, there's obviously two sides to that story. Yes, there uh, is. However, I think it's important for Republicans to to take that into consideration when, when we move forward with this. But, but I, again, certainly understand and agree uh, with what Senator Ballinger is doing. I just think we have to study it more closely. What about when we get to the full boat and our minimum wage is going to be significantly higher than the surrounding states. 
I've seen that map. It's sure, yeah, it gets looking. up to $11 an hour. Yeah, and uh, like and I don't $3 think that, more than almost everybody around us. Well, it's, sure, and the guy behind it, David Couch, I don't think he's going to stop. I think there's probably going to be some more legislation in the next couple of years that increases it even more. I don't think that's going to help our state I don't think it is either. No, I, well, I don't think so either, and I think that's why you've got – it's it's supply and demand. If you have a good employee and the employee works hard, then you want to keep that employee. And you they're can't making me say, more money where I can pay them more as a business person, right, because they're well, more productive. And then, but you, I mean, yeah. But the the big side of it too is you've got a lot of uh, you've got a lot of high school students, a lot of college students that are coming in and working part time jobs. That you're saying you're going to start them out at eleven dollars an hour? Absolutely not. It. That's really difficult, <laughs> and most of the time it's it's seasonal, you know. And so you're you're having to shell out that money for for someone you're not going to have for the long term, and. Uh, uh, so I think it certainly puts our small businesses in a pickle. Uh, you were right about that mom and pop's going to have to go to work, you know, yeah. to make up for those employees they cannot hire. Sure, absolutely. And they're Why? already stretched. Where I guarantee you, as a small business owner, you're already working 60 well, hours a week. And it makes so. it difficult to expand. I mean, yeah, if you exactly. have a business that's being that's that's seeing some success, you're progressing, mm-hmm. you're growing, mm-hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden you're having to shell out, you know, three dollars more an hour to each employee. It definitely hurts. You can't bring on maybe another set of hands. Uh, so, I mean, there, there's a lot of issues. Again, that's what we tried to trumpet uh, throughout the campaign. Um, you know, but sometimes uh, it's it's. Uh, a little easier to judge a book by its cover than you know read read the uh, insets there, and I think that's what uh, I, I, I had hoped uh, the people of Arkansas would have done. But again, that's what they voted on, and we have to be uh, careful moving forward. I think this is a good example of looking at a sort of complex picture and mm-hmm. picking one little thing and saying, "Okay, we're going to do this," and not looking at all about the results of that or how it might fit into the other. I mean, let's just you know increase the wages. Yeah, yeah, it sounds good on the surface, but think about what this means. Yeah. And I mean, Dave, you've said this uh, all. I mean, since I've known you about uh, referred acts or initiated acts that they need to be clear, and people yep. need to be able to know exactly what they're getting into. And so, in this case, obviously, I'm not saying I mean that they ha- they obviously don't have to do this, but I think being able to lay out the hey, this is what we want to do. There are some consequences to it. I mean, just something that that sh- some sort of educational material about uh, what some of these initiated acts contain and. Uh, you know, but again, it's it's uh, it, it is what it is. You know, uh, the people of Arkansas uh, uh, heard the cases on both sides, and and they made the decision. But but like I said before, I certainly understand where Senator Ballinger is coming from. Uh, we just have to watch it and uh, and make sure we're doing it the right way, and uh, and 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 providing that that uh, that faith in public servants to the people of Arkansas to know that when their voices are heard. We listen. All right. News is next, and we'll be back. Back with you at the third floor in the state capitol, House side, and J.R. Davis, the governor's spokesman, is with us. And uh, we were just talking during the break, and uh, a couple things that you should know about. You may have seen the story today. I think it was on the front page, Arkansas, I think. I don't think it was on the front front page, Uh, but uh, Southland over at the dog track mm-hmm. are uh, getting ready to spend a whole lot of money over there. I thought I read $250 million. That's quite a lot of green to be sprinkled over there. Yeah. So uh, the governor was over there? Yeah, we've had a, a, a couple of uh, economic development uh, tidbits this week. Uh, obviously, today the governor was over in West Memphis for uh, that groundbreaking uh, yeah, $250 million investment in that area, which I think will uh, really be uh, something special uh, when you're obviously so close to a state like Tennessee and a city like Memphis. 
Um, so uh, lots of exciting news going on over there. Obviously, when you pour $250 million into something, that, that obviously means jobs, mm-hmm. uh, lots of them. It also means that uh, you know, throughout the process of, of uh, constructing uh, this lots new facility, jobs. lots of jobs. And they always say for every one direct job, there's two to three indirect jobs. So that's really, really going to be good, I think, for uh, the, the eastern part of our state as far as West Memphis is concerned. Uh, and then earlier this week, the governor was uh, at the SHOT Show uh, in Las Vegas. It's nice. the largest. I, jealous. I, I hate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, it's the largest uh, gun and ammunition um, uh, trade show in North America. Uh, lots of companies are there. Uh, lots of ancillary companies are there. Uh, and this is the fourth year for the governor uh, to attend, uh, which has really just been uh, a special event because obviously Arkansas has had some success in that arena since Governor Hutchinson uh, came into office. I believe it was two years ago he announced from the SHOT Show that Six Hour was coming to Jacksonville from, I believe it was New Hampshire. Uh, so we're a friendly state. Uh, we want people to know that. And, uh, you know, the really fun anecdote the governor shares is the CEO of Sig Sauer, ever since they've moved to Jacksonville, he's one of the uh, greatest advocates for doing business in Arkansas and, and how special it is and, and, and the, the closeness of the relationships with the governor's office, AEDC, uh, and just the, uh, the you know, really the, the job-friendly environment, business-friendly environment, um, not just in the state, but in a place like Jacksonville. So um, he uh, met with, I think, 10 different companies from Arkansas uh, that have some sort of um, – um, um, facility or, or, or manufacturing plant here in the state. Connection. And he met with two to three uh, prospective companies uh, and just kind of share them what we have to offer here in Arkansas uh, and and uh, the business-friendly econo- climate of the state. So we'll see what happens there. But, again, it's just all about making those connections, uh, sitting down, talking one-on-one, letting them know what we have to offer here, uh, pointing to past successes, uh, and so hopefully we'll see something come out of that. So uh, real special, um, and he loves going out there and making those connections. And and uh, if the pass is any indication, um, we uh, hopefully will have some announcements in the next year or two. Oh, that'd be very nice. Yeah. That'd be very nice. I, I hope more gun manufacturers come here. It'd be good to know. It'd be great to be the like the state with the most gun manufacturers. That'd be great. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> I'd like hey, that. We'll take that idea. and the state with the most manufacturing. <laughs> so that we're, we're that uh, uh, equal opportunity when it comes to uh, those business opportunities. So it's uh, it, it's it's fun. And, and the governor, he'll, he'll tell you that that's his most favorite part. Uh, you know, I think if you rank them one A, it's just getting out there and talking to the folks in Arkansas. He loves it. He loves you know holding town halls and uh, going to Rotary clubs and just you know hearing from folks and talking about what we're doing at the Capitol. And then I'd say a close second is uh, getting out and, and sharing what Arkansas has to offer to uh, businesses and companies around the U.S. Uh, and the globe. And I think what you're seeing, too, in the last four years is people have gone from where is Arkansas exactly <laughs> to Wow, Arkansas has a lot to offer. Maybe um, I need to get there and check that, it out myself. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's kind of an easy opening too when you go to folks and say, "Hey, did you know we have the number, the world's uh, number one retailer uh, in the state, as well as the world's second leading protein producer uh, mm-hmm. in Tyson, and uh, and obviously, uh, you know, uh, uh, research universities in U of A and UA, uh, UAMS and." Uh, Dillard's. I mean, you go down the list, we're a really special state for being as small as we are, a big entrepreneurial spirit. And I think when people come here for the first time and, and, and see that for themselves, 
it certainly is a uh, uh, you know something they take into consideration. Let me ask. I, I've not asked this question of you since it's been happening, but uh, the the shutdown, the partial shutdown yeah. of the federal government. Are we having anything happening here statewide that's causing problems for workers? Uh, I think what you're starting to see is the longer it goes, uh, it starts to squeeze states a little bit more. Um, back in uh, the beginning of, of January, first week of, uh, we did know that there were about 17 employees who were furloughed, uh, 10 at uh, the Department of Finance Administration, and they were sort of in the grant funding uh, department. Okay. Uh, and then seven at the state crime lab who do a lot of uh, DNA analysis work. Uh, but since then, they've been able to pull down some of that federal funding, and so they're all back to work. So as far as you know, specific um, uh, consequences of the shutdown in Arkansas, we're not seeing it uh, as much as I think some people may have thought uh, to begin with. But then we have issues, too, like the Trafalgar fire up in Bella Vista. We're trying to work closely with the EPA. Uh, it's going to take a lot more money than, than originally estimated. I think it was 8 to $10 million, Now it's 28 to $40 million. Uh, and so you obviously want to be able to keep those lines of communications open. It's a little more difficult to do that in a partial government shutdown. So I think the governor's per- perspective is he 100 percent is President Trump. Uh, he understands the crisis at the border, and, and, and it's about time we do something about yeah. it for sure. Yeah. And nobody knows that better than Governor Hutchinson, who served as Undersecretary of Homeland Security for Border Patrol. Uh, so, um, But he also realizes, too, that we got to have a fully functioning government. So something something needs to happen. Um, but but at the same time, too, as time goes by, I think the pressure starts to shift from the White House to the Democrats. Um, and I don't mean to be long-winded here, but I saw something earlier today, Dave, that I we had talked about this where I felt like there was going to be a shift at some point. Uh, yeah, we agreed. Said, we both agreed. Yeah, and I said that at some point they're going to say you're going to start seeing some Democrats uh, and some American people that are saying, look, it's $5.7 billion. Just give them the money for the wall and let's move on with this. Mm-hmm. And in today's paper, there was actually a story where there was, I believe, a congressman from North Dakota who said, just give them the money and let's move on with this. And yeah. I think you're starting to see a shift. I don't know if the president will be able to hold out that long uh, with with some of the conversations in the Senate. But, you know, regardless, this is a tough situation for a lot of folks. Uh, I think there needs to be a remedy. Um, but, but certainly border security is an important aspect of all that. And uh, for Nancy Pelosi to say, open it back up, then we'll negotiate is, is one of the And then when sillier, you ask her, can uh, we negotiate about the wall, she says no. Well, I was right. going to say, which, which one do you believe? Well, yeah, you know, and open I think, it up, we will, no, we won't. Well, huh. I mean, what, what, what artful negotiator <laughs> says, okay, well, let's let's you give me your leverage and then we'll negotiate yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it's just, yeah you give me everything i want and then yeah. maybe maybe so, i'll think about compromise yeah, it's just a mess uh you know and, and obviously we hope um something happens quickly um but the governor is keeping a close watch on how that's going to affect arkansas moving forward i'll tell you what more people than just the governor are watching the folks over at mcfarland eye care is offering a 20 percent discount on glasses and sunglasses to impacted government employees. This applies to all Little Rock and Hot Springs locations. Again, that's a 20% discount on glasses and sunglasses on impacted government employees from McFarland Eye Care. Let's get our break in, then we'll come back, and we've got another section uh, to do with uh, J.R. Davis. We'll do that when we return here at the state capitol. All right, we're back with you. Jim is on the phone from Bismarck, wants to talk to uh, J.R. Jim, how are you? Welcome to Dave Ellswick's show. What's your question? 
Good afternoon, Dave. I'm just curious. Y'all are talking about this business thing and this wage situation. I'm not so much as a fan of the minimum wage situation as I am of more of a fan of incentive to incentivize businesses to incentivize the employees to perform better through possible tax incentives, tax deferment uh, situations, whatever. When I had my business, I had five people that worked for me at the, at the, at the highlight of my business. Uh, I started out with a 70-30, moved it to 60-40, moved it to 50-50, moved it to 60-40, down on, the, on so on and so much. And at the end, I gave my drivers $100,000 in cash in a bank account that was tax deferred, a contract, a truck, and a pink slip. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's doable. But you've got to have incentive for that business to incentivize the employees to work and to perform. And there's ways to do it. And Dave and I talked about this months ago. We need to put free enterprise back in our schools and our civics classes because oh, yeah. you, you go back you go back to the 70s and 80s and check the who went through the free enterprise program find out how many of them are millionaires today hello uh i get by thanks dave y'all have a great day all right appreciate you thanks so much and you know one thing i do know that it seems to me that uh the Republicans have done is you know done some things. They're doing. They're trying to do other things to do the whole thing about incentives, yeah. making it a good thing for uh, owners of businesses to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think like we talked about before with um, the the goal of of Senator Ballinger and 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 trying to offset some of the un- unintended consequences of of the. Uh, amendment that was passed i do want to go back for just a quick second on we talked about the government shutdown i don't at all want to uh, uh i want to clarify a point that when i'm talking about sort of the the uh the um gri- the, yeah, the great the 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 uh consequences of the shutdown i was talking about for for state employees certainly there are uh those out there that you know work for tsa or or for the federal government that are that are here in arkansas that are certainly feeling the effects of that so i, I definitely want to correct that and i don't want anyone to think that we're not worried about those folks too but as far as the state that's what we're seeing as far as our workforce goes uh, but there are, are certainly um issues out there for folks who have uh, been furloughed or working without pay for the last 34 days. So I just want to make that quick correction. All right. Let me remind you that McFarland Eye Care uh, sent me a note saying they're offering a 20% discount on glasses and sunglasses to impacted government employees. And that applies to their Little Rock and Hot Springs locations. And again, whether you're a federal or state employee and you're impacted by this, uh, they're going to give you that 20% discount on glasses and sunglasses. So, you know, find the nearest McFarland Eye Care to you and uh, make good use of that. 20% off can save you some money. Yep. No doubt about that. Yep. That's a big deal. All right, so w- what are you expecting? We're, we've got about eight minutes left here, uh, Jr. What are you expecting in uh, the next week or two what should start the 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 legislature start really contemplating Uh, well i think one is uh 
transformation. Uh, that's on a good path, a good schedule right now. I think you'll start seeing a lot of those uh, pieces of legislation being considered. Uh, we talked about this, I believe, last week that that you know there's 15, 16 pieces of legislation uh, that have been filed uh, that will be debated uh, in state agencies, and then they'll pull uh, Representative uh, Andy Davis and Senator Bart Hester, the two sponsors of that le- of those pieces of legislation. They'll pull all that back and then file one bill which is about 1500 pages but what this okay. does uh, it allows the legislature to kind of you know dive into the specifics of each new cabinet uh, or consolidation uh, and and ask questions to get some you know answers to those things and then we'll be able to move forward with one bill and follow it more closely so i think you'll start seeing that really pick up uh, and move forward in the next couple of weeks uh, i think you'll start seeing um, specifics on the tax plan uh, in bill form uh, so we can start that debate as well uh, and then again, it's the legislative session, so you know, uh, who knows bills, what bills, else, right? bills are a flying, and uh, we're trying to keep up with them and uh, provide the governor with some analysis. He really likes to go through those bills and, and look at them for himself. So uh, it it's just a, a busy while. time of year. Yeah, he really does. We've got a great staff, and they try to keep him as up to date as possible. And uh, uh, we will. Yeah, Wednesday. Um, Wednesday, there were three hundred and forty something bills filed. On Wednesday? Yeah. I don't doubt it. On one one day. On one day. That's a huge amount of legislation. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. Did we talk about this last week about the uh, bill filing deadline? Do you think it's... There is none. Exactly. So do you think that that curbs some of the filings, or do you think it just... All I think that it does is what uh, the guy who's behind it, I'm trying to think his name right now. I think it starts with M. He's a state senator. I think he's right that it will keep shell bills yeah. from being filed. Yeah. As far as making the session move any quicker, <laughs> I don't doubt. I, I doubt that. It might just stop the rush, and then the, no, it yeah, won't stop anything. And but he did say something that that gave me hope when he said, "Don't file it the last week and think you, it's going to be." You talking about uh, Speaker Shepard, Matthew Shepard? I think he's the one that. Was he the one? That yeah, said, I think you quoted sure, the paper, but, but yeah, yeah. Don't think that it's going yeah. to get through. Yeah, and I think that's a that'll be the interesting part towards the end there. Uh, what uh, what happens to you know in that final couple of weeks with yeah. people filing legislation? But it'll be interesting to watch. I do think that uh, you know, uh, as Paul it's, pointed it's out, well I don't think it's going to be right. Exactly. Yeah, and we'll see what happens. But I think as Paul pointed out, maybe maybe it curbs just everybody trying to get. Everything in at the last minute the last because they minute, have they, to. They, they pile in all these shell bills. Shell and, bills. And shell yeah. bills. Shell bills are annoying because you end up. <laughs> I try to follow bills and you don't have any idea what the things what's in the thing yeah. and then, bam, they go to committee, and all of a sudden they get populated. The the bill gets yeah. populated and in other words they get they put words in the thing right. and um, it gets passed out of committee and. You don't know what's you don't know what's happening yeah. until it's actually already out of committee, and you got to chase it on the Senate. And if you if no, you're right. It's it's it's. Annoying. I think it will be that will be a benefit of being able to follow legislation yeah. more closely and uh, with a little more uh, time consideration versus it popping up at the last yeah, minute. Transparency, you know, yeah. we have yeah. some clue what's going on. <laughs> what, what happens is, so I go into committee. I don't have any idea what a bill is going to do. It's just got a title that's kind of nebulous. Yeah, and then the sponsor comes in. Drops the amendment, which is the entire bill, essentially, right. and then I get 
two minutes to read the thing, and I may, might not even have a chance to even sign up to speak against it or for it, and I don't know if I should speak against it or for it anyway. Now you do, do the elected officials. <laughs> well, you know, and I think, too, I, I, I think the, the Shell Bill process, again, it was never um, – uh, intended to be, you know, sort of a uh, necessarily a backdoor into legislation. I think a lot of times you had legislators that that there were some good ideas out there. They haven't been completely formulated yet, and so why not throw something out there? But the problem is, uh, you know, you get a little uh, it confuses folks uh, a little bit. I think this will give them a little more time to flesh out those ideas and get something into bill form and and let everybody take take a look at it. So we'll see how it goes. It's going to be a, certainly an interesting session. And Dave, two weeks in and. Several more left to yeah, go. Yeah, quite so, a few more quite left, a few to more be left honest to with you. Don't forget that if you're like me and you're uh, you know, a, a government you know, geek that you like to keep up, you're know, wonkish and you like to keep up with bills, uh, I think that you should put on your um, smartphone an app called LobbyUp, lobbyup.com, and uh, that way you can keep up with the bills. If you want to, just a free one, keeps you up to all the bills that are being dropped you see something that catches your eye you can read it know what's going on if you want to pay the 60 dollars extra a month it's got all kinds of other extras that you can use as well that is lobbyup.com you'll find it in your uh, your shopping store right. and and use that to help us track these bills we don't have time to, to yeah if you to, see something you go us. what you know, you can you can always send me yank, a yank somebody's chain. You like that? You know, that, yeah. that's what I think. I, I know that you see, you read things, and you go, "What the heck? What are you thinking the, about?" I, I try to get eyes on every piece of legislation that comes along, but he tries. I try, but at, at the end of the day, I miss stuff too. And and uh, mark that down, Elizabeth. Paul actually Paul missed said a bill. he missed a bill. <laughs> yeah. Twenty, what was it? Twenty one hundred bills got filed. <laughs> yeah, two years yeah. ago. That's exactly right. Yeah. We won't see that happen anymore. All right, Jr. We thank you for coming by and and bringing us up to date. Uh, tell the governor he's welcome here. I always say this. He's welcome to stop by anytime. Well, I know uh, he wants to get up here. Obviously, it's about the same distance from his office as it is mine. That's so he right. wants to get up here. It's just. Uh, Man, I tell you what, it's 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 jam packed during the session. But he knows you're up here. He wants to get up here. Tell him when he and comes maybe, up that he should bring uh, bring the favorite uh, gun that he saw while he was at Shot Show. I like to hear <laughs> I'm sure he's got some stories out there. Yeah, so. I'm there. I know he's looking for it. Good stuff. Thank you very much. We Thanks, appreciate J.R. Davis here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We got news coming your way after the news. Uh, we will talk unless Don't you're listening your, to this uh, in the five o'clock hour. But uh, keep uh, keep listening because we got Doug House coming on. He's a state legislator. He'll be talking to us as well. I believe the last time he was on, he scared us half to death talking about pensions. Are you going to scare us even more now? It's really bad. All right, okay, you're going to get the truth. You may not want to hear it, but you'll get it from Doug House. That's up next here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We got news. Going to play, uh, be playing at the top of the hour. Let's give you sixty, uh, give you five minutes to catch up on what's going on in the world. There it is. All right, we're with you. Final uh, live hour today from the state capitol. You'll hear J.R. Davis, governor spokesman, in the last hour because we always read. So you could hear what he has to say because he he has some insights and from the governor's side of. Uh, 
you know, the government, uh, the executive wing, and uh, what's going on in the legislative wing. Here in this final hour of the Dave Ellswick Show, we've got Doug House with us. He's state representative here, and uh, the last time he was on, he sent shivers through my my you know body because he started talking about pensions, and I've I've brought that up sometimes because they always say we've got a balanced budget here uh, at the state. But they don't take pensions into consideration, and pensions are not in good shape in Arkansas, are they? Well, they're not as good as they need to be. Let's leave it okay. at that. Yeah, we uh, we did some math. It's been a bit of over a year ago now. We went through and added up all of the liabilities of the all the pension systems, and there's six or seven. Uh, depending on how you count them, state police have got one that went bankrupt, and one they use now. So that's seven. And we added up all the liabilities. We came to $70 billion. That's with a B, billion dollars. Wow. And we added up all the assets at fair market value at that time, and it was about $50 billion. So there's a delta difference of about 20 mm-hmm. That um, it, It's funny how that even came about. Uh, the Speaker of the House called me in a couple of months before the 2000 and. 18, I guess, 17 election and uh, 16. I forget what day, what year it is anymore. But uh, <laughs> he called me and he said, uh, Speaker Gillum, and he said, Doug, I got two things I uh, need you to do. He said, number one, if marijuana passes on the ballot, we're going to have to implement it with legislation. You're in charge. <laughs> so I saluted and said, uh, yes, sir. He said the other thing, he said, you're going to have to get into the pension systems and figure out what's going on and why the numbers are not coming up like we want them to. And uh, then he made me chairman of that committee, the retirement committee. So I spent uh, the last two years really digging into all the systems and getting a feel and an understanding of what's going on. Am I an expert yet? No. No, but uh, you've got experts that you can call on, right? Uh, some, yeah, some, and then some are so wedded to the current system they don't want to help, or they'll mislead you. So we've it's been a learning curve. They they will mislead you. Uh, I'm afraid they will. I'm afraid they will. Well, that's not good. Well, you know, it, it's uh, we we found some good people that that were able to help us too, and you know you can go from the very far left uh, or the left end of the political spectrum with. Outfits like Brookings Institute and Boston uh, College Center for Retirement Research and Georgetown University and Yale, you know, they're they're pretty liberal folks, and they've got studies on all this stuff. And then you can go all the way out to the right, and you can talk to George Mason or Mercatus or uh, Pew. Actually, Pew and Reason uh, turned out to be kind of libertarian. They're not either left nor right. Correct. And so... Uh, we, we looked at all of them, and they were all saying the same thing. We're about 23rd to 27th in the nation. We're not the worst, but we're not certainly not the best. So um, we've dug into it. Uh, you know, we, I was just visiting with some wonderful people at uh, Arkansas Education Association earlier today. We pulled, the, we pulled the financial reports out, $5 billion hole, $5 billion hole. And... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, attended a meeting with the uh, APERS, Arkansas Public Employee Retirement System, and that was in the paper. They've got, uh, I think, around $2 billion in the hole. Um, 
judges system's pretty pretty healthy. Uh, they could uh, manipulate their numbers and be pretty close to 100%. <laughs> State police is not uh, doing too great. Um, they're in the 70% funded range, something like that, and I really haven't got too deep into theirs. Um, who am I forgetting? Lopfi, uh, law and, uh, local law enforcement and fire police systems. Now, that's interesting. Uh, the state runs it, administers it, but the state is not the employer of the local police, sheriffs. Uh, that's the counties and Correct. the cities. They are the employer. And uh, I talk with their manager. They pay for all their benefits, even though they don't pay enough or their cities don't pay enough. But I'm not going to mess with them. They're not our system. They belong to the city. So... Uh, you could take them out. That that problem's kind of solved. But uh, filed the first bill today for the APR system. Okay, and what? Uh, I mean, you're saying? Did you just not say that they're like two billion in arrears? Basically? Yeah, uh, they their board of trustees met, and they're good people. All the trustees really are good people, and, and they are. Uh, they're volunteers for the most part. So uh, uh, they want authority to adjust the cost of living increases, cost of living and allowances, COLA. Mm-hmm. Right now, every recipient, except for the highway department, gets an annual 3% cost of living increase every year, regardless of inflation. Mm-hmm. I don't know of anybody else in the country that I wish gets I a, worked at a company that gave yeah. me a 3% raise every year. When the economy's down and yeah. everybody's losing money. Even, you know, yeah, that's the, that's the hard part. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned to y'all, I've made a living all my life telling people things they don't want to hear. <laughs> well, you tell them the truth. Most people well, don't want to hear the truth. That's what lawyers do, you know, and especially military lawyers. You never lie to your commander. You give them the unvarnished facts. That's and, what Jack Nicholson said. Yeah. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, we uh, uh, we did file a bill today, and uh, it it authorizes the trustees to establish the COLAs. They may establish a COLA, not more than 3% or the consumer price index, whichever's less. Because you know what, uh, and this is bragging on our people, uh, when it comes to managing our investments, you, you really couldn't ask for a better bunch of trustees. They really do spend a lot of time managing our investments, and they do a good job. Sometimes the markets go up, sometimes the markets go down, yeah. but they do a good job. And you know what? We get, don't have a whole lot more control over that. But our liabilities, however, that $20 billion unfunded liability, we have control over that. And we're going to have to bend the curve of those liabilities down until we get our systems 100% funded. Do the people who are under these uh, pension plans understand that they might not be in the best situation? No, absolutely not. I've taken more cousins in the last three or four weeks than I've had in my whole life. A lot of angry people. Uh, you know, they don't want their board controlling their cola. They just want us to give it to them. And that's, uh, so, so, how do you know, so how do you deal with situations Until it runs where, out. where you, you know, you just ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And that's how you try to deal well, with it. And, and that's, a good, that's a good approach. And how, how do you deal with the, the fact that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, some politician promised them a bunch of money and, and they never provided the funding for it? And now they're coming to the point where they get to collect it, and it's not there. 
that's the whole point. Our objective is to make sure every retiree gets every dollar that they have been promised and they have paid for. Interestingly, except for the local fire and police, they actually factor that into their payments. They pay for their COLAs. But none of the other people do. It's gratis. It's a gratuity. Now, they've paid for their retirement benefits, but what they get in terms of COLA, that's a gratuity. Different story. So that's actually stealing from your grandkids. Yeah, they finance it out over 29, 18, 30 years, and that's making the grandkids pay for people who are who retired 10 years ago. And uh, that, that's a moral issue right there. So. Yeah, well, there's a lot of those kinds of issues, not only on the state level, but on the national level with Medicare and Social Security and everything else. A lot of people have been promised, you know, the, the world. The world. And we don't have the world to offer them back. Yeah. And, you know, and we all pay into Social Security, and it's a tax that everybody has to pay. And, and on the benefits side, on the retirement side, all of our employees and teachers and, and police officers, they pay in for that pension. They right. have money come out of their checks, and the employer matches it. Judges get like 28% matching. Uh, the teachers wow. get uh, 15.32, or, or about 15%. Judges get 28% of their income? Yeah, they, that's... If, if they, so if they, if they dump 28% of their income in, they'll get a match? No, no. That's the employer match. The tw- employer, that's no, they, they, they put in, uh, I'm rem- I may be wrong, 6 or 7%. Okay, and the, and the employ- employer, employer matches 20%, 28% yeah. of that. Yeah, without the books, I, I, I may but have that a, figure wrong, okay. so I want to tell everybody that, but... But, you know, you think about a judge, you, you come out of private practice 10 or 20 years, you assume the bench in your 40s maybe, you're going to practice 20 years and or, or sit on the bench for 20, 30 years and then draw. So it's pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Theirs is pretty expensive, but that that's the way it's set up and has been for 30, 40 years. So. All right, Doug, so when we come back, walk us through, you know, how the pensions work. Okay. So the average listener out there can kind of get a grip on this. And then uh, we'll ask you then in the last part of the show to uh, suggest some things that need to be implemented to make sure those pensions are there when these people retire. You bet. All right. That's what we're going to do when we come back. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Let me just uh, hate to ask you this question, but I got to do it. Do you got warts? Do you have some warts? If you got warts, uh, Applied Research of Arkansas wants you to know that they're ready to take action with you. they got new clinical studies that could wipe those warts away. What happens if you're a participant, and to become a participant, you go either to the online location, which is arcarkansas.com, or you go and give them a call at 501-954-7822. And if you can get into this, you'll receive free study-related care medication as well as compensation for time and travel those are studies on warts they do other studies as well see all the studies that they have uh, available to you at arcarkansas.com that's applied research of arkansas Hmm. and don't forget about sunny's auto salvage your number one choice for recycled auto parts your car is going to stop for one or two reasons you either drive it into the ground or you get into a wreck and uh, it becomes a, a well-maintained total loss vehicle. I've been on both of those ends of the, of the spectrum. But uh, the total loss uh, vehicles uh, play a really valuable part for all of us. 
I've had a new engine put into my uh, 2008 Acadia. I've had a new uh, transmission, and by new, I took it out of a car that had far less miles uh, than my car had and uh, was in a wreck, and the engine still worked, and so they pulled the engine, and they put it in my car. The transmission still worked, and I took the transmission as well. It cost me less than five grand, which is about 50% less if I had had uh, an EOM piece dropped into my, uh, my car. So uh, do yourself a favor. Don't go out and rush out and buy a brand-new car. You'll be paying five to seven years on that car, and uh, you'll be underwater on it before the end of the loan. And uh, turn your attention and go talk to R.D. over at Sonny's Auto Salvage. He'll give you a warranty. He'll uh, he'll get the, the work done and, and done well, and he'll save you money as well. 982-7451 is the number. 982-7451 at Sonny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. Doug House, state representative, is our guest. We've been talking about pensions. So walk, walk, walk my listeners through real quick, uh, Doug. How does this whole pension thing work? If people give money out of their checks and they give it to the pension people and the pension people, uh, what? Uh, invest it. Get to invest the money and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the, uh, the trustees, each pension system has a board of trustees. And uh, they take the money that the employer and the employee pay into them through the payroll system, and they invest it in different kinds of investments. Right now, about 60% of all the investments are in equities on Wall Street. Okay. So they're very volatile, and they can go down. And matter of fact, during October to December, when the stock market was doing those roller coasters, mm-hmm. afraid some of our systems lost some money. But that goes with the territory sometimes you win sometimes you don't and uh, once they've invested that money you know when you put in a hundred dollars let's just use that because it's easy numbers to manipulate you put in a hundred dollars you get a hundred dollars worth of promises back that when you reach age 60 something or so many years 28 or 35 years that you're going to get so many dollars you get credit for a hundred dollars now here's what the system does they take 35 roughly of those dollars and they pay them over to pay current retirees so that 65 left over does go into investments and into the savings but 35 just went out the door so what has happened you got a hundred dollar promise for in effect what amounts to 65 dollars back into the system 35 went out the door to pay another retiree so what has happened is our liabilities continue to go up and up and up, and our assets go up. But the liabilities are increasing faster than the li- than the assets so it's are. A little bit like a Ponzi scheme. It's kind of like a Ponzi scheme. It if it was illegal, like so- it would be. Sounds <laughs> like Social Security, doesn't it? How many kind private like- How many private companies are still running this type of a pension system? Uh, very not few. many. No, that most- to me is part of the problem. We are not going to now. Everybody was promised when they went to work for. Uh, public entity, whether it's the schools, the state, the counties, the cities, whatever the case may be, you know, they were promised this system. That's That was the bargain. That was the contract. And so we have an obligation to provide them what they were Correct. promised. To, and we're going to do that. To existing 
employees. Yeah, and existing employees, yeah. But what about new ones? Well, that's going to be part of the trustees mm-hmm. to decide, and mm-hmm. that's what our legislation does. It gives the trustees control. Right now, we're telling them by statute what they must do, and it's costing the system more money. We're going to turn that power back to the trustees since they're the ones legally responsible for it, give them the power to do what they've got to do. However, you all will get a a balance sheet, for a better term, and you'll know whether it's doing well or not doing well. Yeah, each system each system has a set has a team of actuaries. We've got some. We've got a, a real good one here in in Little Rock, uh, uh, Joe Carrero, who, who works downtown, and he does some work for one of the systems. And we've got another outfit called GRS Gabriel Rotor and Schwartz, I think, worldwide actuaries. They they take care of pension systems all over the world. Super super actuaries, and they do quarterly reports and annual reports. We've just seen the annual report for the APERS, that's Arkansas Public Employee Retirement System, and teachers are supposed to get theirs February the 8th for the immediately preceding year. That's as of June 30th, 2018. Okay. We'll take that financial data and look and see where we're at, uh, but I think that's pretty much where we're going to go is empower their trustees to do what they have to do to make sure their system's solvent. Okay, but if they're not and they're screwing it up, this, but the state takes it over at that point or what? Well, that's uh, that's never happened, but uh, we're going to give them an opportunity to take care of it. They seem to be pretty conscientious men and women. And uh, some of them, a couple of them are elected people or appointed by the treasurer. State treasurer's on a couple of the boards. The uh, auditor's on a couple of the boards. They're very responsible. Uh, DF&A guy is on the boards. Governor appoints two or three of them. Some of them are elected. Like teachers elect most of their representatives. Mm -hmm. They seem to be pretty responsible people. They're all people of good character, and that's my impression. Okay. So now we know how it works. We know that it's owes money to itself, basically. Yeah. Our, our liabilities exceed our assets. Everybody likes to look at the profit and loss statement. Oh, look how much money we're making on the stock market. But you got to look at two documents in business. One is your profit and loss statement. The other is your balance sheet. That's right. If you go borrow a bunch of money from the bank, yeah, you got a million dollars in your in your checking account, but you also have a million dollars worth of liabilities on your balance sheet. And a lot of folks don't understand that. I've got a newspaper article. They talk about how good one of the systems did, but not a mention of the liabilities that just went up. See, so folks are not being told the uh-uh. entire truth. And uh, we, don't, I, we don't do a good job of looking at this as a debt. No. It really is because you've promised this, this money to these people. And that's the biggest problem, is that the people who are in the systems think that they're safe. That's the problem that I see with it. It, And, uh, you know, the easiest thing for me to do would be throw all those financial reports in the trash, walk away from it, and not care one lick. You can't do it, can you? I can't do that. (laughs) I can't do that. And so I've taken, you know... Three or four hundred cussings over this, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know. But what did Terry Truman say? Um, Puck stops here. Well, he said something about the heat in the kitchen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. That's right. And I got a dog that loves me, so I'm, I've got that part covered. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break, do the news, come back, and now we're going to. We gave you the bad news. Now let's talk about maybe some good news on the horizon. All right, we were on the third floor, House side, Doug House, state representative is our guest. We've been talking about uh, the whole deal uh, with pensions. We've given you all the bad news first. Now let's try to see what they're doing to fix what's going on. And so with that, I'm just going to dump it right in front of you, Doug. What are you guys thinking? Well, at least everybody in the legislature, or nearly everybody, uh, understands the problem. They know that we've got a problem. Uh, there's not a, a painless solution, but we can minimize the pain across the board. The state's going to have to contribute some more. Uh, current members and future members are going to have to contribute a little more than they've been. And there's going to have to be some adjusting on the cost of living adjustment. We're empowering the board of trustees to make those decisions. I've got lots and lots of confidence in our trustee boards that they have a fiduciary duty to keep the system solvent. We want it there 10 years, 20 years from now. I think we can be healthy in most of our systems in six to eight years with just a little bit of pain now rather than massive pain tomorrow you know it's better to take the cancer out when it's little than it is to be when it's full-blown yeah don't let it metastasize that's uh, that's where we're going with it and uh, we'll tell people the truth and uh, if we do that uh, i'm confident that when you tell people the truth they always come to the right decision if they've got the facts so that's where we're at so you're going to be running some different pieces of legislation, I take it. I filed one bill today for the uh, public employee retirement system. We want to hear, see what the latest actuary reports are from the teachers in February. Uh, we're waiting on uh, judges to meet and state police to meet and tell us what their ideas and thoughts are and get their end-of-year numbers, and we'll have a better idea of the steps that uh, they want to take and they want to implement. and. We can help them do that. Okay. How are, are those pieces of legislation being welcomed uh, in the committees? Well, we haven't been before the committee yet. Uh, there are some people that just want to close their eyes and walk away from the problem. And then there are, most of the people are saying, we've got a problem. How do we, def- how do we def- deal with it? Uh, most of the folks in this uh, building are pretty responsible people they want to do the right thing sometimes we don't know what the right thing is but uh, they want to try to do the right thing i think you're right sometimes we get frustrated with them but i think most of y'all do actually have you want to do well yeah sometimes sometimes i disagree with the with the morality of some of the people here but i think they mean well yeah and uh, the other thing i was working on i mentioned earlier was was marijuana we're going to add about 30. I don't know. I hadn't counted them in a while. I forgot the number. New conditions for marijuana qualifications. Um, We had some feedback from the medical marijuana using community, people who are genuinely sick. Right. And they are reporting that uh, they have gone to the health department and asked to add certain conditions and uh, have been told, well, you're going to have to have some double-blind, placebo-controlled, medically-supervised tests, just like the FDA requires, or we're not going to add any conditions. Okay, that gives them three choices. They can lie about their condition, number one. Number two, they can buy this 
crap off the streets that's laced with fentanyl and heroin and PCP and mm-hmm. methamphetamine, or they're going to drive over to Oklahoma where they're going to get the unregulated stuff, which is about the same, because there's no regulation hardly to speak of over in Oklahoma. Uh, we would rather sick people be able to buy a product from the state that's regulated, taxed, and tested. And that way we know it's not full of pesticides and bugs and so herbicides. Basically, they're gonna, they're, their intention is to grow it in a more um, controlled environment. Oh, so it's so much more controlled more here pre- in this precision state. On the, uh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, we're, we're actually approached this like we would a small FDA. That's one of the reasons it's taken so long. I mean, the Medical Marijuana Commission, they're all volunteers. They're all had to, they had to develop this thing from ground zero, and it took them a while. And then the courts intervened. And, uh, you know, it's it's slow. There's an old saying, you can have two out of three. There's fast, there's cheap, and there's correct. We opted for the two, correct and cheap. Right. And uh, it wasn't fast, but uh, things seem to be going pretty well. Uh, and uh, I'm already hearing some people that we already need to go ahead and release the other three licenses for the cultivators. Uh, not so sure that's a good idea yet. And uh, also there's a few dispensary licenses still out there i don't i still i don't know that that's the right thing to do yet okay all right so when are you all feeling uh, that uh, the people who are the buyers are going to be able to buy uh i think i think they're going to have some product available in april and there's going to be a, a rush and it'll be pretty expensive right at first but as the cultivators get their products out um yeah i think it'll start hitting uh, this year it'll be it'll start becoming plentiful enough to to sustain the whole industry um we've got labs they're going to be testing it uh there's a one lab i'm very impressed with and i don't mean to plug them steep hill is the name of it they're an international testing company they're set up here there's a couple other companies that uh, i don't know them as well but they're also setting up to do the testing uh, the transportation aspect is apparently uh, underway, they had a big marijuana convention here about a month ago. Yeah. Arkansas, Texas, Louisiana. It was cool. A lot of neat things going on. So, um, as a matter of fact, I bought some uh, CBD balm for a lady in my church who has arthritis real bad. Bought two two bottles. She tried one. She said, "Nah, this didn't work." She tried that. She said, "This is a miracle drug." Hmm. Her hands are just—you'd have to see her hands. God love her. But she said it stopped her hands for hurting, from hurting for 14 hours. And she had some arthritis real bad? Yeah, arthritis real bad. CBD oil, no THC in it. Most of these patients will tell you they do not want to be high. They just don't want to be hurting. They, they want not. some and, relief. And how do you find the, the uh, appropriate CBD product that actually has it in it and isn't just labeled that way? Because I understand that's an issue as well. There's a lot of semi-professional folklore Absolutely. out there. And, and, I mean, and, I saw, saw it at my convention store the other day just yeah. sitting you know like with all the tobacco products by the checkout counter and i'm thinking i'd bet you money that doesn't have a darn thing in it you yeah, know i mean how probably, do i know right yeah the the prescription is start low start slow you know s- small amounts but again how do you know when you're obtaining the product you know oh, you, you well, got it at the convention i assume maybe they knew it was valid yeah, and had buy, actual stuff in it but i'm just saying they label from it one of our licensed dispensary you're going to have a tested label from one of product. our from one of the licensed arkansas yeah, you buy it anywhere else you're liable to get see that's the issue sunflower oil. they say 70 80 percent of what's out there right now it you know doesn't so, even have it in it yeah. that's true you know it's well, just, just like, labeled you, that like way. you mentioned with the with the black market stuff you don't know what you're getting you may be getting poisoned yeah. with fentanyl or, or oh, whatever yeah. else yeah. That, that's one of the that's one of the dangerous things about having black markets in anything is that 
one, you, you, may, you may not know what you're getting. And the other thing is if, if they cheat you, you can't go to the government. Can't get your money back, no. And, and try to have a remedy for it. Well, back in the late 60s and 70s and the summer of love and all of that, Doug, people were buying marijuana left and right. And PCP was in it and all kinds of stuff was in it. I heard I about that. that. I, I, I don't I Well, you were in the any, military, so you weren't partaking. I can't say I've had any firsthand experience in that. I can. I did see it. And, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, we're really encouraged, and, you know, we wished it could have taken longer. The people drafted the amendment, and they passed it, and we're trying to follow the way they set it up. And I think we've done a... Uh, as good a job as we know to do and yeah it should have gone faster and yeah it could have gone faster we could have just put some edicts out and said okay all the license will be awarded by lot by random drawing right, right. we could have gone to the highest bidder we could have uh, done it like they do liquor licenses uh, but instead the we left it up to the commission they decided the best way to do it was uh uh competitive bid or competitive a competition that's what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. who can best provide the product to the people at the best price and that's what they went with Interesting. any uh, any kind of new legislation towards medicinal marijuana we should be watching for i have not heard from any uh, i had just the one bill that added conditions uh, justin boyd representative justin boyd is uh is a pharmacist and he is dealing with getting some controls on cbd it's what you mm-hmm. talked about elizabeth mm-hmm. uh, you can buy you know uh, what is labeled as cbd but it turns out it's going to be you know yeah. soybean oil or something olive oil or something in there <laughs> yeah and so uh, he's trying to get some controls on that that's encouraging and uh, see again my interest as i've said to you in the past if we're going to do this Let's find out, and I know that's where you're heading with these changes. Let's find out what is really legitimate and what is really helping mm-hmm. people, and and you know test it and check it and measure it and make sure, and not just throw it out there willy nilly. Yeah, there's hoping be, it may work. There's going to be some research. Some of the growers or some of the cultivators uh, have have a research component. They're going to be supporting that is what they've represented to the commission, and that was part of their criteria. Will you do some research on this? Mm-hmm. And several of them have committed to do that. So. That's encouraging. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, anything else that you've got brewing? No, that's about it. I've, uh, I've uh, my plate is full with those particular issues. I can imagine the whole pension thing. I can imagine got a big plate full. Well, you know, I wonder why they picked me to do it. I guess because I've got a history of doing things I didn't want to do <laughs> and try to get it done. That's just the way the military. I was going to say, former military. <laughs> well, I heard a story about you at lunch, and I wanted to thank you for telling someone I know who contacted you about the Convention of States situation. You said, I'm voting for this because you've contacted me. I want to thank you for that. Well, sure. Yeah, they, I did have a constituent. Uh, I, I'm afraid that Congress will reject those. I really am. But you know what? But they need they, to know our will. Yeah, they need okay. to know our they will. They know, and that is our will. So Many we'll of us. We'll see what happens. Doug House, State Representative, thank you so much. We'll let you get home and uh, have your normal life as well as you can, you know, while you're not here at the uh, the, the Capitol. Thanks so much, Doug, for Good the time. Thank you. Appreciate y'all right. being here. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got to get a break in. Let's do that, then we'll come back and wrap it up for this Thursday here at the uh, the Capitol, third floor, House side. Don't forget that there are 567 different ways to claim your Social Security benefits, 2,728 rules in the Social Security handbook. And to make matters worse, the Social Security Administration is actually forbidden to offer you any personalized advice 
So you're totally on your own. That means uh, might be a reason that $10 billion in benefits, either more or less, depending, uh, go unclaimed every year. Learn how you could wring every nickel out of your Social Security benefits in an up-to-date guide to Social Security. Get it from David Lucas, host of the David Lucas Show here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Uh, Get your free Guide to Social Security. Be one of the first 10 callers right now at 501-653-6690. Make sure you get back every nickel that is rightfully yours. Call 501-653-6690 or visit davidlucasfinancial.com. All right, let's uh, wrap this up for a Thursday. Don't forget that uh, PI Roofing Home Solutions wants you to know that they have bought Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Services And if you've been a customer of Tommy's, uh, you can rest assured uh, that PI Roofing's uh, great team that they have is going to continue providing the highest quality gutter cleaning uh, services at uh, a a wonderful, uh, great value to you. On top of that, uh, if you are, uh, you know, a customer of Tommy's, know that since uh, P.I. Roofing and Home Solutions now owns Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Services. You get more. Uh, the more you get is, a, you know, along with the good cleaning that you're going to get from your gutters. Uh, the team at P.I. Roofing also offers comprehensive roofing and that home repair expertise they have as well. You, you have a leak that happened and destroyed maybe a piece of your ceiling or whatever. Uh, P.I. Roofing can put that all back together for you all you have to do is learn more about this is go to piroofing.com that's piroofing.com well it sounds like to me guys that um, uh, Doug House has at least brought the uh, state government the legislature up to speed on where the pension systems here in the state are at Right now, did you? I guess you all heard. He said six to eight years to get them where they're supposed to be. Yeah, with yeah. Some, so it, with it some was, tightening up in between then. And yeah, now. yeah. It sounds like it was the, the actual numbers being that apparently there's pretty good differences between the liabilities and the actual assets, and so that's 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 some kind of solid numbers we can look at and it well you said ponzi scheme it is right now exactly it does what sound a ponzi like scheme so, is. So, so so what happens so what he was describing is that so for every hundred dollars coming in there there might be only 65 of that going to the people who are actually paying it yeah because is, we've got you know more people getting paid out than money coming in right which is that's the problem with the defined <clears throat> pension plans like this yeah that, that's that's kind of basically fraud i mean it's <laughs> And so it should be going, you know, if I'm paying into a retirement system, I mean, shouldn't I be getting all of that money? I mean, that, that seems like that. I, you know, Paul, it's based, you know, on your life expectancy. So, yeah, you might be eligible to get right. all so your that, money, but how are they going to ensure that you get all your money when you're going to die? Well, and that's, I mean, you know, that's one it's kind of. Kinda, that's one of the problems with these defined benefit programs where they're, they're like a, a monthly thing versus, you know, I'm going to save money. And then if I die at 55, my kids or nephews and nieces or whoever it is, they get the money. Whereas these these benefit programs where they give you a, a defined amount per month, well, so you retire and die the next day, you get nothing. And neither do your kids. And so it's, 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 it's just, I think, a bad approach 
for really anybody, but especially government, to, to give that kind of retirement system to anybody because it's a the your incentive. To, there's an incentive for you to want your um, former employees to die <laughs> as soon as they retire. Well, I was just disappointed, you know, when I said well, it, it, private private industry gave up this type of pension plan 20, 25 years it's bad, ago. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. And when I asked, you know, is there any way? Well, no, not until we can fully fund it. We're, we've kind of got ourselves stuck between a rock and a hard place on this, is from what I hear him saying. And that's that's kind of hard to accept as well. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean let's just keep going down this road where we know well, we're we're getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and not well, being able to pay I, I, out enough well, money. That's I, I, crazy. I think the ideal situation would be let's stop the government from giving anybody a pension of any kind from from going forward. Don't 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 have pension programs for people. Pay them an adequate wage, and let them invest their own money into a pension. And if they don't invest it tough i guess they can live off social security and and eat dog food or whatever but in the meantime are these people responsible enough to 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 live their own lives and and if they're so irresponsible that you can't trust them to 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 save for retirement do we want them working for the government you know you're reminding me of a discussion we had earlier today that i was involved in about the government shutdown Mm -hmm. and you know these poor federal employees that aren't getting paid and most federal employees are getting paid maybe forty thousand plus Mm -hmm. and benefits right so my comment was you can't tell me out of 800,000 employees that nobody has a savings account. They're all living check to check, expecting daddy government to take care of me right. no matter what. And this is the same situation. Right. And, and we're talking daddy about government will come along. Well, that money has to come from somewhere. Where's that money tree, Dave? In the backyard? Yeah, it's, you know? it's in my backyard. It, it, I've got unlimited people, use. And you cannot legislate the morality to teach people right. you know, so, to so, save money and take care of themselves. Right. No, you can't legislate that. But the, the fact is that life comes up and slaps you around, and that will help you learn that. And if we bail you out, Maybe. you don't learn it. Maybe. Unless, you know, big daddy government's going to come along right. and pick and you up off the ground and, and say, don't worry, and that's a little problem. snowflake, you're going to melt. Here, we'll take care of you. And that's the problem is that when someone comes along and bails you out, the government or the life doesn't teach you. And so that's a serious problem. If, if every time I'm about to feel some pain, someone comes along and prevents me from feeling the pain that I caused, I ain't going to learn from it. Not effectively. Again, I mean, you're just saying what I'm saying in a different way. I just don't think that laws can teach people self-reliance. No. And no, life you know, teaches us. And, and I'm not saying that everybody has enough extra money to put money in a savings account. I understand maybe, some maybe, people do I, not. I but at least make an attempt. I understand. But the thing is, we're, we're <laughs> don't talk- expect that you know somebody's going to come along and el- somebody else is going to come along and bail you out. Right. We're, ta- we're, st- we're still talking about the, what government cl- classifies as unnecessary programs or something of that nature. Okay. I've got a suggestion. Are you for talking these. about the shutdown? The now. shutdown. The yeah. shutdown. And so, you know, I've got a suggestion for these people. Why don't you get a different job? Well, I, I have to tell you again. You may not have heard me say I was a federal employee in the '80s. This happened to me four or five different times. Mm-hmm. The first time it was pretty scary. I yeah. didn't know I was going to get paid. Yeah. Every other time it was a paid vacation. Right. No, it was not fun because it's stressful. I was not able to pay my rent on time. I had to go to the landlord and say, da-da-da-da. At that time, they were very kind. They said, we understand, Mm -hmm. you know, just like they're doing now. These people will all get paid. But if I were a federal employee and I was in that, you know, tight of a situation, I mean, you can go get a job at McDonald's for a few weeks or something Mm -hmm. to put a little money. Don't sit on your finger you know, on your hands and then go get in the food line and expect somebody else to take care of you right. and at the end of the day i'm still okay with these people quitting their government jobs 
and get a real job. Well, there's a whole line of thought behind that. You know, we're now in a legal situation where as far as the federal government is concerned, there's a law that says now that these folks have been furloughed for over 30 days, I think it was, that they can be riffed. And there is a, a line of thought out there that this is what Trump is really up to, which means reduction fired. in force, fired. Oh, wow. And there's a line of thought that says Trump is doing this on purpose to prove that it's really, I mean, we've cut maybe 20, 25 percent of the government. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are some things that are causing trouble and there's no money flowing through some of these people's mm-hmm. pockets. But as far as government services is concerned, I really, even with the leftist media, have seen very, very little legitimate cut. trouble. Yeah. Because the government isn't doing it, which tells me our government's too big. Back to that. So there's the whole thought that this is all designed to be able to lay those folks off and reduce the size of government. I, so. okay. now, I don't see it happening, but that's a line of thought. We're, we're <laughs> just about out of time. Uh, tomorrow at 3.30, I'm going to bring to you uh, a bill that's being uh, pushed. It's House Bill 1257 by Representative Boyd and Senator Wallace uh, that uh, says that, let me get this to you real quick here, i got to find it, the Arkansas Healthcare Transparency Initiative may disclose claims data that contains direct personal identifiers of eligible individual individuals in the Arkansas Works Program to the State Insurance Department and the Department of Human Services. What? I'm, 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 yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. That's, I'll talk more about it tomorrow. Got to get out of here right now. Tomorrow, 3.30, be listening to the Dave Ellswick Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.